0: Morning, but midday. Good midday to you, folks. It's a nice day. Nice day to be drinking coffee. Um, welcome to another Chit Chats with Git Cats number 56. Folks, I need your help. I've been given a whole bunch of stuff by my sponsors um, Summer Cable, ET Guitars, and Chicken Picks, and I need to give them away to you guys. But I need your ideas on how to do it and best promote my channel because I'm crap at that stuff. So I have a little Facebook. Uh, group called Chit Chats with Git Cats. If you add yourself to that, I'm going to start a competition this week where I'm going to give away my first big prize pack to the person who comes up with the best idea on how to do all that because um, I think we've got a pretty good thing going here. You would not believe who I got an email from this morning saying he's coming on. So um, I'll let you guys guess who that is, but hold the line. I will announce it in about a month's time. Um, But... In the meantime, there is somebody outside, uh, Ding and Dong, and who is that out there, but no other than Mr. Phil Buckle. Hello, Phil. Hey, Rick. <laughs> I'm going good, mate. Um, it was a little little bit of playing around, as I said on my teaser to my Facebook page earlier. we got two audio guys here, and neither of us could work out how to get your nice interface going oh, for wow. this, so we've resorted to the iPad, but it looks good, mate. It's adjusted cool. light-wise and everything now, so you're looking great.
1: Yeah, that's good. It was more the sound that I was uh, I was worried about, but there we go. We're stuck with the iPad speaker, but that's okay. It's an yeah. iPad Pro. Whoa,
0: yeah, I'm no, it seems fine. It seems fine. We don't have any echo issues. If, if we do, folks, let me know in the comments, and I'll, I'll keep an eye on that and wear headphones, but I think we're good on that. Phil, what what part of the world are you in right now, mate?
1: I am in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, and yep. um, it's a funny day. I can't believe it. Something that you guys are probably quite used to, but... Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm on the Gold Coast myself, and... Nice. Uh, yeah, it is. I know it's a middle of winter here, but I'll go for a walk down the beach and everyone's out surfing. And
1: Oh, shut up. Yeah,
0: yeah. With, with a wetsuit on, though, you wouldn't
1: you wouldn't tackle it without a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> we just come out of another lockdown, so, you know, uh, things are looking up. It's great. Sunny day, no more lockdown, no more masks. Cool. I'm
0: hoping it stays that way, mate. I've got a gig coming up in a couple of weeks' time at the casino up here. I play in a group called Absolutely 80s with um, Scott Kahn. From Kids in oh, the Kitchen, okay. Brian Mannix. Um, who's on this run? Ali Fowler. We've got David from Real Life. We've got
1: David Steria.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, yep, yeah. yep. We've got <laughs> all these
0: nations. We've got Wilbur oh, Wilde. It's really? gonna be. A, it's gonna be a cool show. Uh, so, fingers crossed. There's no lockdowns again, and that everybody can actually make it up for this one because uh, oh, I haven't played a, a hometown show with those guys yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that
1: sounds really cool a lot of those names are, i i really know because you know i used to work in a music shop and uh, you know like dave sterry and the boys from real life used to come in and i remember looking at those guys saying oh man i've got to do that had that because t- they were talking about their record company and they just signed a deal and i got the single coming out i'm going how can i and funny enough you know there's a kind of a connection there because at the time ross fraser was working uh, at the same shop at the same music shop really but, yeah i remember one day Ross said, you know I had enough of working at this music shop i'm going to do something else and and uh i sort of said what are you going to do he said oh, i'm going to do something with pas i'm like oh. i didn't have a clue what he was talking about and then one day um because i used to live just down the road from the shop and ross turns up in this brand new isuzu truck and if people don't know ross fraser is the guy who produced john farnham we used to work in music shop together he was like i think ross is about two years older than me or something so he was a little bit ahead of me in school but he was a friend of my brothers and he was also um, very instrumental in, in my development as a music because he used to bring all these records around and play them to me, like really groundbreaking <laughs> records that I couldn't afford to buy. So anyway, so Ross comes around one day and he's got this brand new Isuzu truck. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, just bought this truck. And I said, how much was that? And he said, oh, 30 grand. And I said, what? How are you gonna... He said, I'm going to pay it off. I said, how are you going to pay it off? He said, I'm going to build a PA and I'm going to rent it out. And that's exactly what he did. And one of the bands who rented out his PA was Real Life. Wow. And they kind, of, Yeah, and they kind of got to know each other. And uh, they were going into the studio. They asked him to go in and produce. So Ross Fraser was the guy that produced um, their big hit. Send, Send Me angel. An Angel. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it was Ross's idea to put that big hand clap in there. Send Me An Angel. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, and he used to actually trigger that hand clap from the front of the house. On his, He used to have it on his desk. Oh,
0: really? <laughs> Cool, cool. Because so it is it is the hook, isn't it? It's one of the, yeah. one of the hooks of the song.
1: It's, it's one of the... I think uh, um, Richard's uh, synthesizer part, that... That's like, yeah, man, that's it. Yeah, sh-
2: yeah. Sh- sh-
1: but that was interesting, wasn't it? Because, you know, we just came from working in a music shop. Suddenly, there's Ross now, sort of took that next step. And it wasn't long before he then got to... Because he started hanging around. Because I think we're well, real life with Glenn Wheatley. I think they were. So he's hanging around that office all the time. And Glenn said to him one day... I want to, I want to do something with John. Do you want to, do you want, you know, John Farnham, do you want to be involved? And so what does Ross do? He goes on and produces Whispering Jack. Thank you very wow. much for coming. You so, know, you know, all those guys that are out there working in music shops, it's a great connection point. It can it be is. a great point. So many people used to come into that shop that actually went on to do stuff. You know, we had all the guys from, um, uh, what are they called? Uh, all, you know, the hair beds kind of, uh, Oh man, I forget. Uh, they had uh, funky town. Who Studio Echoes. Pseudo Echo, all yep. those lads used to come in, yep. buy, their, buy their gear from us. Um, Paul Kelly used to come in. I mean, and we were we were out in the sticks. I mean, we were like 25K out of Melbourne, but for some reason, I think we were one of the best stocked shops or, or something. Wow. And uh, so it, all those people would come in, and that starts to get you thinking, like, what am I doing here? You know, because I mean, I worked in that music shop for like 10 years. Long time. That's a big chunk of your life to spend yeah. working in a music shop. But it took me a while to learn how everything worked, you know. This bands, how they get gigs? They go and see these people, and then you've got to have an agent, and then they've got a manager, and how do you do that? And and so you learn. You know, it's a, it's a great place to kind of learn stuff. Anyway, I've probably gone. Off, I've gone right off track, but no, at
0: all, where, mate. There is where, no, there is no on track with this show. I, I've come to realise, <laughs> as I was saying to you, mate, wherever it goes. But you mentioned working in the shop, and yeah. that's what brought you front of my, front of, of mind for me was talking to Brett Gussard and just asking him. Uh, the question, great. and he and he mentioned you working in the shop there and being yeah. blown away by your playing, and
1: yeah. yeah, well, that's a nice thing for Brett. So I was the guy, I was the one who actually, <laughs> I've told this story before. But you know, Brett used to come in, uh, but one day he came in, I was at the back making coffee or something, and he was right in the room next to me, and I, and I could just hear, this <laughs> I stuck my head down and said, "What, what are you doing?" You <laughs> know, he was right into the whole legato thing and yeah. I hadn't really kind of started on, on that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, that's, and he used to, I used to look forward to the dates when he would come down. Cause I'd always learn something from that guy. I would know, try and figure out what's he actually doing there, you know? Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it, music shops are a good place to start. Even if you think, I mean, we used to sell everything. We had those, you know, home organs and piano accordions. The guy that owned the shop was a German guy. So we had, used to have a lot of Austrian German guys, Bavarian guys coming into the shop. Buying piano accordions and stuff, and then there'd be a, like a row of Les Pauls, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we had, uh, you know, the all the rock bands and stuff coming in. It's a great place to start, man. But and it also makes you realize you're so close to the dream. Like cause you'd see guys do it. You'd see guys like David Steri come in, and 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 Richard Zatorski, the keyboard player, come in. You go, I'm this far. You know, they they're doing it. Why yeah. aren't I doing it? What? How how do I how do I bridge that? You know. Um. And then, you know, so what do you do? You buy enough gear so you can actually build a recording studio and you start
0: doing it yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's now, where it all started. Awesome, awesome. Now, you, you mentioned um, uh, recording uh, with uh, – uh, oh, sorry. You, who did you say um, you worked with at the shop? Mental blank.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, Ross Fraser. Ross yeah,
0: Fraser, yeah. yeah. Um, the console recorded, uh, Whispering Jack, is actually about a kilometre down the road oh, from my yeah. place now in a studio. The guy bought it and it's, it's- in there.
1: There you mm-hmm. go. Well, you yeah. know, the Sun's probably recorded on that console too, because we um, um, uh, recorded. Uh, we didn't mix our stuff there, but we recorded uh, at the same at the same place. That was in a studio in Melbourne um, called Metropolis. Metropolis, uh, yeah. We, kind of gone now, I think. You know, it's so sad. All those studios that have been. In there. It was a great room. So many great records were done there. All the Little River Band stuff. Well, a lot of the River, Little River Band stuff was done there. Crowded House. I remember bumping bumping into Neil Finn in that place. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that's, and, and I think actually the first state record, which is the one that preceded, um, the Southern Sons when I was still. Singing, I have it. Yeah. There you go. That was not, was sort of mixed because uh, I, we had mixed it at home and Ross just had the two tracks. So they were trying to, they were just trying, I guess they were kind of trying to master it there. You know, that was definitely a home demo job that got mastered on a, on a, on a, on a, on a SSL.
0: Wow. Um,
1: so, uh, there you go. Um, uh, but that, you know, when you're in the shop and you're selling the gear, you kind of have to learn about it. Yep. I remember when compressors came in, we had these DBX incredible, I mean, now they're bloody collector's items, DBS compressors like in a little lunchbox kind of thing. Beautiful yep. units. I didn't know what the hell a compressor was, you know? Mm-hmm. So you get the manual out and you start learning about it, you know? Yep. Um, and also the other great thing about working in a shop was, we used to get great deals. You know, he'd, uh, the boss was a really, really lovely guy. Helmet, his name was. Helmut, uh, German name. Yep. Uh, no, Aust- uh, Bavarian. He'd hate it if I said German. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, he was really, really kind with, uh, you know, doing great deals for us. He'd give it everything at cost, whatever we wanted, as long as we could pay for it, of course, uh, yep. he would do it at cost, you know? So if someone come in and and, and like traded in a Les Paul or something or a Strat, and, and, you know, they didn't want much for it or we, we cut a good deal, it'd be like, that's what we could buy it for kind of thing. So that's probably the reason why so many guitars went through my hands. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I had, yeah, I had a bad reputation for uh, for going through guitar. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think we all no, do that, yeah, mate.
1: You know, when when we you, you asked me to do this interview, I was thinking about the way guitar players have, I think, I wonder if other people were like me. I had this, I think I had this sound in my head. I think I knew what it was, but I could never, ever find that bloody sound. You know, it's like and you just start changing pickups and then you'd start, you know, well, I'm going to try different strings. I'm going to try maybe a different neck, maybe a different. And you butcher all these bloody guitars and then you just get rid of it and buy another one and think this is going to be the one. you know. Yeah. yeah. And I just wonder how that it's psychologically how that works, because guitars are really strange beasts. I mean, there's so many things that go into making that sound. And particularly, here's a good example. So you're standing on stage. Yeah, you know, you, you, you're you going to do a gig, whatever, you're doing a sound check, you get sort of saying, oh, this is really, really good. This, this is happening. And then you can just, all you got to do then is kneel down and play again. And you'll just go, that is the biggest piece of crap I've ever heard. They're so toppy. It's, it's stand up and you go, actually, that sounds pretty good. You yep. know what I'm saying? Like, yep. that is so directional. You have yep. no idea what it's going to sound like. Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason I bring that up is because I just I was listening to some, because I'm using a Kemper at the moment. And I was listening to a, to, uh, Michael Britt, who is one of the guys who does a lot of the really great, yep. um, uh, and actually I use one of his, um, and he was saying, the thing about the campus is it's a profiler. So what it is, it's not like a, uh, XFX, which actually emulates every part of the amplifier, every component. I, I think I, I, I've never used one, so I don't know, but this is the way, I, this is the way I've kind of, um, um, past the information is that it you know emulates everything and then at the end of that you've got you should have something that sounds like a marshal or a Fender or whatever other yeah. amp you like but a kemper is a profiler what it does it uh, will record or somehow electronically record the sound of a amplifier being mic'd up so it's the sound of a complete the complete sound that's it's mic'd it's yep. sounding the way you want it to sound. Now let's profile it. And a lot of guys can't get used to that. They listen to it and they go, that doesn't, there's something, What? it's not, but to it's all me. down to
0: how the, the app set at the time.
1: Yeah. But yep. to me, it's like, because I sit in front of a pair of monitors, that's how I want to hear it. That's the, what I want to hear. I want to yep. hear a guitar that's being mic'd up. So I took to the Kemper immediately. was like, well, that's, yeah, that's, yep. that's the way to should town.
0: Yeah. Know? I was a Kemper guy for for a while. I was one of the first guys touring around Australia with one. Probably
1: about, oh, there you go. About, sure
0: seven years ago or something now. Uh, I was yep. playing in a Queen tribute show. Uh, wow. And, yeah, people just freak out at how good it sounded. Um, and I've been looking around for a rig to do these shows, like I said, with the 80s guys coming up. Uh, but there's no Kempers in Australia right now. The shipment's still coming. and I, I bought a Soldano preamp a couple of days ago.
1: Oh, wow. So I'm looking what forward
0: you- to incorporating that, let me tell you. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, Phil, I'm actually going to jump back just a little – And ask you the question because you're talking about working in the music store and everything. And what I want to know is, what initially started the love affair with the guitar?
1: Well, interesting. I think really the the truthful answer to that is that my brother was playing, uh, and he sort of. I think he started on on electric guitar. I never remember my brother's name's Ashley. He's two years older than me, and he lives in Perth. And he's a great guitar player too. And but I don't remember him ever playing a classical guitar maybe he did but anyway all i remember is he had this beautiful well to me it was beautiful actually it was a kenora do you remember kenora i don't know if you even remember those. i have ones. i have seen those yeah yeah um you know in these these days you know we know that it wasn't such a great guitar but to me it was you know this beautiful sunburst thing and you know uh, and he had uh, it was at the age i think it was about because i was 13 when i started playing guitar um he was actually we had a bungalow. We built this bungalow in the backyard of our house, uh, and we because I think our, our uncle was going to stay there or something. but That didn't happen. So what happened was my brother moved out of our room because you know there was, there was the two of us in the one room, and he had the bungalow. And that was you know, and, and he kind of converted that into his cave. You know, he had like incense burning, and it was all dark, and he had he had a, oh what was the name of it? He had this old valve amplifier. Um, they actually collector's items now I can't remember the name but anyway uh oh it'll come to me um and so you walk in there and there'd be incense burning and there'd be Hendrix kind of playing so that really must have been like 66 I reckon 1966 1967 and it was like walking into another world you know it was very very cool uh, so of course, you know, he, he, he was playing the guitar. So maybe I should play the guitar, you know? Yeah. Um, so I talked my talk mum into it and, and it was kind of just starting then, you know, you'd imagine the sixties, it's Beatles. It's, you know, it was an incredible era for music. Um, it was Dylan. It was, you know, amazing stuff happening. Um, and we were, you know, because he was interested in music, I was interested in, in, in music. My sister had all the Beatles records. So I, I was listening to that stuff. Um, so anyway, I talked my parents, and at school it was happening. The kids were starting to get guitars, mainly just uh, nylon string acoustic guitars because that was, you know, that were cheap and, you know. So I talked my mum into it because somebody let me a guitar to have one string on it, just had the E string on it, just a nylon string guitar with E string on it. And I brought it home. I said, Mum, look, I can play Zorba the Greek, and I just did that, you know, and she was like, Wow! And so that convinced her. Cool. To buy me. Uh, yep. Yeah and um so she did and i remember the, the day my sister came home with her because i was waiting at the window and, and and my sister got off the bus she got, got home from work she worked in insurance company or something and she you know, she walked on the drive and i could see she had this box under her arm you know and uh so i had my first guitar and it was just a nylon string i think it was 25 quid or something, or 25 bucks or something to me though it was like yeah this is this is great and uh so i started learning chords and stuff like that um, I don't think I was a really fast learner or anything like that. It wasn't like I just picked it up and started playing. Um, it was, uh, you know, I had the Nick Mandeloff Coles method. This is, you know, trying to learn how to play music and all that sort of stuff. But the good thing be- was before that I, I, I had seen Stevie wonder on the TV doing, I think he was doing, um, probably my Sharia more or something somewhere where, where he played the harmonica. And I knew that, that's not a normal harmonica. What he's mm. playing—I saw the button on the end of it—and yeah. I convinced my mum to get me one of those. I'd seen one in a music store in Melbourne in the front window, and I thought I've got to get one of those because wow. that's what. Wonders go right. Yeah, and but the beauty of that was it came with a little book called the Easy Chromatic Harmonica Method, right? Yeah, and was a system because on the harmonica there were all these numbers, and some of them had circles, some of them didn't. I think, and the ones that had circles were the ones where you press the button or something. I don't know, I can't remember. But the book showed you that number, number five, is this note here on the staff, and I'm looking at the staff. I'd never seen a music staff, and that taught me that when I blowed that note, I was playing that when i blowed that number i was playing that note so this was a, a way of kind of learning and the first thing i did of course was write a, write a tune because i could write the notes down because i knew that the numbers now i didn't know what the timing was that didn't matter um so when i got the guitar it was kind of there were the notes again um and i could kind of understand but this time it was you know relating into the fretboard kind of thing and what was the first thing i did i wrote a song <laughs> you know uh, this little tune uh, and you know which was pretty, pretty crap, but it was a little bit experimental. I got to say this little tune Yeah. and then I was able to actually work out on the guitar, what the notes were because of that easy chromatic method. And I still, I still was using that book and going backwards and forwards. And I wrote this little thing out in music and I, and this was, I think it was in third grade or something. I took it to school and in our, in our class, there was a piano and our t- every now and again, our teacher would play the piano. So I took this bit of music up to her and said, can you play that? And so, you know, in front of a whole class, she played this tune, went for about five seconds. It was just yeah. But to have, to get something from out of your head onto a bit of paper, give it to someone else and have them play it. And for the whole class to hear it, some sort of connection happened, I think. Wow. Uh, it was like, this is, it. I think probably, even though I didn't say it to myself, but that was like, okay, this is what you are going to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's written, you know, this, this is what's going to happen. So, um, that's kind of where the love affair with the guitar started because it was that, um, that thing of, I'm listening to the Beatles cause my sister's playing it in, in a, in in room. I'm hearing the guitars, I'm trying to figure out what they're doing. And then it begins, you know, like so many other guitar players will tell you trying to figure out what they're doing, how to make it sound like that, how to get those chord changes happening. But also at the same time, um, I was actually writing songs. I was actually making up these little things. I thought that's what it's about. You know, you yep. make up your own thing, you know, yep. um, and, and I don't know why, but that's, that's the way I kind of started. So I'd hear things on TV and, and then I'd run into my room and try and work it out. So, you, st- you know, the, the, the development of the ear was, was kind of starting, you know, yep. um, I think it was trying to put it into uh, some sort of terms. It was like, you would see something on TV that would affect you like this this sound coming out of that magical thing that tv thing and it's like it sounds corny trying to put it into words but what you were trying to, what i was trying to do with i gotta I got have that 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 way that it made me feel that little bit of magic i can go into my room and try and and maybe get a little bit of that you know, you know what i'm saying it's like you you just want to be in that you want to stay in that world it's like when that when a show that's on that you love um, suddenly finishes and the tv goes off it's like i want to I want to be back in that world. You know what I'm saying? I think that's all I was trying to do was to recreate that thing with the guitar, you know, by trying to figure out what other people were doing and, uh, and to try and see if I could sort of get that feeling. And I think it stayed the same really. That's been my MO for the whole time. I really didn't start out listening to guitar solos. um, That maybe started when I was a teenager, but it was always about writing a song. Um, Yeah. Coming
0: up with my own little piece. Well, that's uh, that's quite young to start writing your own music.
1: That, yeah, that's awesome. That's
0: awesome. Uh, and you no, have gone least... on to to write some some classic Australian songs as well. But um, you said that just that the you didn't start playing lead guitar uh, until no. a little later. No. Um, and man, I, I, I got to say, um, I, I was a big fan of, of you and Jack back in the day. Um, <laughs> watching you guys like. Southern Sons was known as, you know, sort of a a mainstream pop act, but I'd always rock up early to hear you guys sound check because I would just hear you guys just wailing, man. And people wouldn't believe me. I'm going, dude, no, you got to, you got to hear these guys. They're amazing. And uh, you you guys would, you know, towards the end of the set, maybe, you know, let loose a bit. But there was one, um, the MTV basement thing and you guys are playing make a move and and a, move, Jack yeah. a, a trading solos there and man that, that that's amazing and so what when you started playing lead guitar like who who were the guys that got you started into that
1: um if I really really go back the the first things I was trying to work out was Johnny winter um, so now I'm I, I would say I'm 15 16 by this stage we'd moved from one suburb to another suburb which is much nicer suburb although we didn't know at the time um and my brother i think it was my brother who had the johnny winter record i don't know which one it was i think it was just called johnny Winter. it was the one with his face just on the cover that's it just his face on the cover and i still had my little nylon string guitar um and i could not i, I was trying to figure out what he was doing but what i didn't know was that he was bending strings and of course you couldn't bend strings on the nylon string no, and i didn't no. even know what string was anyway um you know once again we have to remind everyone that there was no internet there was no youtube video that you could go and watch and really uh it was a pretty isolated kind of a life i mean you know it was just get up go to school come home um had very few friends because i just changed school um it was just trying to figure out stuff from the record so really i'd just come from um i was really into dylan and Joni mitchell when i when i grew up Uh, dylan because my sister had given me a birthday present and the birthday present i think it was a combined present or something it was rolling stones high tide and green grass which is the rolling stones greatest hits and then bob dylan's greatest hits all right so i had those two records now the dylan thing just got me i was like gone you know because but here's the funny thing rick when you're growing up i mean I didn't know about charts or anything. I didn't know about number one songs. But I mean, you'd hear about it. Oh, the Beatles had no, number one record, whatever that meant. You know, I didn't know there was a chart. There was no book you could read or no magazine that you didn't, you know, you just, I can't believe how ignorant we were. I didn't realise that Bob Dylan's, I didn't know what greatest hits meant. Bob, I just thought, wow, this album's got so many great
0: songs Yeah, yeah, it. right. Classic. <laughs>
1: it, it didn't dawn on me. It's yep. years later when I saw... Uh, an album that had some of those songs on it but it wasn't that album. I thought, well, how come this album's got the same songs on it? And then, of course, that was the album that these songs—you know—it had been taken from a whole. He'd been yeah. around for years. I didn't know. I thought he was brand new. Bob, this is a new artist, and he's got all these songs. <laughs> it's probably he's been going for like five years or something. But yeah. it's the same thing with the Rolling Stones. I didn't realize that's a greatest hits record. I didn't know they'd been around for that long. Yeah. Um, but I was much more attracted to the Dylan thing than I was the Rolling Stones thing. There was once there was a couple of songs from the Rolling Stones things that I dug. But anyway, um i've gone off the completely gone off the track but i wasn't really working out any anything to do with uh solo guitar what i was working out though was all these finger patterns all the dylan stuff um uh uh, when uh, when i got a little bit older my sister started getting peter paul and mary records and stuff it was all this folk stuff and i even went to a folk club i went to a you know we'd go to these folk cafes where you know people just get up and sing their song so i was definitely into that whole singer song writer thing uh, I eventually ended up with my harmonica holder, tried to find a cap, just like Bob Dylan, you know, you just emulate your, your, your heroes kind of
2: thing. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and I mentioned before about Ross Fraser. I mean, he, he was the guy that brought around the first Joni Mitchell album for me. And you wouldn't think that by this stage, I must be 15, 16, maybe even 17, you know, year, f- year five, we would have called it, um, fifth form, which is a year 11 or something now. Um, you wouldn't think that, a, a you know, a, a young teenage boy, you know, full of testosterone and, you know, anger and rebellion, uh, would be listening to Joni Mitchell, but there was something about Joni and something about the softer songs of Dylan that would just, would really get to me. I don't know. It just, I was drawn to that big time. Um, and especially Joni's lyrics, you know, I just used to think, how can you think of things like that to say? you know, because it, once again, you're ignorant. You haven't got the internet. You don't even know right? she's Canadian. I don't even, I don't know where Canada was for heaven's sake. I had no idea what that country was or what, you know, her, her background. There was not I didn't know any stories about her or anything. Um, I would read a book about Bob Dylan. So I knew a little bit of, uh, about him. So it was more trying to find out about the style of where did these songs come from, How, what, you know, I didn't know anything about the folk tradition and stuff like that You later on, you kind of learn that stuff. So it's all this beautiful mystery, I think. That's part of the beauty of, of music, I think. when And I'm glad it stayed mysterious for a long time. I reckon that made a big difference for me um, because you're not dealing with facts. You're dealing with all these kind of mythological kind of things. And, and you make gods out of these people. You really do, you know. But, you know, at the same time, you would know that, of course, there was Hendrix going. I mean, I remember sit, lying in bed and hearing um, Foxy Lady for the first time you know, through our valve radio. And just going what the hell is that so it was like bang i'm drawn to that remember lying in bed and hearing um all along the watchtower coming from uh, my mum's radio in the kitchen and just oh my god what's that dun, 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 dun. it was just like someone just opened up a big door wow. <laughs> and, you know, wow and so that part of me was starting to come awake you know but i still hadn't by the time i was 16 i still did not have electric guitar i still was just i'd sort of gone up to a steel string acoustic guitar i could play lots of guitar all that complicated finger pattern stuff i was really into that i worked out angie from is it angie from the, the simon garfunkel record it was, which was really quite well reasonably complex i'd already worked out classical gas just from listening to the record nice i started to work out some segovia stuff. i mean i really had gone crazy with working out stuff you know being able to put the, the needle on the record at, at right at the right place kind of thing um and then you know for some strange reason when i used to when i you know, had enough pocket money if i had any pocket money. Um, I would I would buy a record, so I would try and get whatever the latest Bob Dylan record was or, or whatever. When I used to go to the record store, they used to have you know have the cheap bins, you know the bargain, yep. bargain bins. And in the bargain bin, I found a George Benson record, and I'd, I've heard of, I'd heard of this guy. Yeah, uh, and it was called Benson Burner. It was a double album, and it was is it was him when he's about 20, nineteen or twenty. And wow. So I bought it and I took it home, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Like, I to this. <laughs> So that was my first introduction to the to the jazz thing because of that next time i was in that record shop i got a i got a wes montgomery record really really cheap and that was like a almost like a greatest hits record it was before he started doing just the octave stuff it was when he was you know he was doing the jazz standards and so at even at that early age i'd started listening to that stuff and i was really digging it uh, but it, it it was um it was very hard to work that stuff out i didn't know what it was based on i, c- I couldn't quite understand it that's how later. you come up with
0: your own style, isn't it?
1: That's it. You know, yeah. you do. You chase these little things. You know, you, you, there's just certain elements about that music that you love. But you know, one has to remember, looking back on it, that we we are not America. You know, we are not the USA, um, where that music was born. I mean, you know, that, that rock and roll was born in America from black musicians. Um, jazz was born in America from black musicians. Uh, I didn't know any of that nothing i mean i knew that you know wes and and george benson were were black artists but you didn't know that they invented that stuff because there was nowhere to read about it you just knew they played this incredible stuff um we, but we what i'm trying to put into words is australia to me in those days because we didn't have the internet it was kind of like a satellite you know you had america and to a degree uh, obviously england or, or europe in general and we were like just kind of circling it grabbing these little bits out of it. We weren't it. We were not where it was beginning. We were getting everything secondhand, uh, in, in as much as, you know, on, on a delay kind of thing. Our radio was as all radio stations were in those days. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but our radio stations were run by, you know, people who needed advertising, who were being influenced by uh, what was happening overseas probably also being influenced by uh, record companies and their affiliates in this country who were, you know, not bribing them, but, you know, you've got to play this track because this is blah, 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 blah. And we know how it used to work in in the old days. We were hearing what was being fed to us, you know, um, could never happen again. I mean, we, we, we were, how could you put it? We were uh, canaries in the, we, we never got to hear for example, I've discovered artists that were around in the 70s that I, now I've discovered them that are, we never heard of. They just never got played on radio because yeah. there's only a certain amount of stuff they could play uh, and even um, singles from really well known bands. You know, um, I remember being in uh, I spent six months in England in, in 2015 working at a studio there and I go home at night. And there's so much music on, uh, on, on TV in England. I mean, you can just listen to concerts. You can, I mean, every night there's some great music thing on, uh, which, you know, obviously doesn't happen here. Uh, you're surrounded by music all the time. And I, I was watching top of the pops and I, you know, it's great because it takes you right back to those days. And they, they'd be showing all the old ones, you know, where the kinks were on and, and, and right through the eighties and the, the, and you'd hear a band that you knew really well and you knew their hit and they would do another song and you go, I never heard of that. Yeah. And that was a hit. Mm-hmm. That was a huge hit in England. They just didn't play it here. And that's just, I mean, so we would missed out on that. We we were fed a certain style of thing. Um, and it, and thank God for the internet. You know, as much as people complain about it, really, I love the internet because it just opened up. I mean, I only heard about Borelli Legrand, one of the greatest guitarists in the world, about six or seven years ago. I mean, my God, he's been around forever. You just missed out on all that, you know. I have it's to write like, that down. Who's this chap? Oh, this guy called Birelli Lagren. He's uh, B-I-R-E double L-I, I think. I think Barelli. If yeah. you just type that, it'll come up. Yep. He's okay. like the 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 one of the top five gypsy jazz kind of players. I mean, I like, I knew about um, Django because I bought one of those records. So I had a Django. I had a couple of Django Reinhardt records actually. Yep. But I can't believe when I first saw him, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> was like... Anyway, um, uh, so. Yeah, we were, Australia was a satellite and we were only fed, you know, and I'm not saying that like, oh, they were just feeding us all. Not at all. There's only a certain amount they could sort of get to us. And, you know, um, so our, um, the songs that we grew up with were, you know, a selected kind of amount of songs that wasn't everything that was around at the time. Um, So, um, so when it, but the good thing about it was, I, I don't know why it happened this way, Rick, but there were certain records that I bought that were like really freaking important records. And I only bought them kind of by accident. And there are other things that happened too that were just a fluke. Like, um, because I was into Dylan. So I'm into that whole, there's something about that whole folk, one guy and a guitar and he's singing about, you know, these really seem, seemingly important things and big things in life and all this sort of answer. My friend is blown in the wind and the times are a these were big things. Of course you didn't understand it really, but, you knew that it was you connected to something that was kind of important to the zeitgeist or whatever it might be, yeah. you know, in a, in a strange little Australian way. Um, but, um, there were, so I'm listening to Dylan and for some reason, I pick up this book, um, called, Is it called on the road by Jack Kerouac? And this is like a seminal, really important book for the whole beat generation of which, really wasn't a part of because that was a little bit younger that would be more like you know late 50s into early 60s kind of thing but here's this guy um you know talking about just uh you know hitching rides on 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 the railway and and just you know going out in the road like a tramp kind of thing meeting people it's like man i just got lost in that book and it's only later on you find out this is one of the seminal books of that This you have to read this book this is really important I don't know how I got it, but somehow I got. I did read that book, um, "To Kill a Mockingbird." That made a huge impression on me as a young young fella. Um, so it's not just um, the music; it's also the the literature, uh, sort of at the time, um, having those kind of effects. But I eventually got an electric guitar when I was probably about seventeen, I think. And it was, I don't know how my mum afforded it because we were poor. I mean, we were we were poor. When I say poor, I mean poor. Yeah. My dad worked. Factory, my mum mom worked in factories. Somehow, mum, you know, she knew that I was into that, into music, and my brother was into it. And somehow, she would put stuff, those were the days when you could put stuff on lay by, and she'd be, she'd, you know, have these little things. I'd beg her for a guitar, and somehow she would get it. You know, I had a Gibson SG. I mean, that's that's really saying something. But there's probably back in the days when they're like 500 bucks or something, one of the most standard sort of Gibsons. But still, yeah. you know, I didn't even know how good it was. because That was I, your first guitar, the SG? That was the first electric i mean i'd mucked around on my brothers he had some um, um you know cheap korean or japanese or chinese kind of guitars but he eventually got a gibson 335 i think he was working then. no 345. he was working then um uh, so you know he, he had some sort of money of his own but we started. we started uh, uh i started to play electric guitar but i still i still i don't know what I was doing. I, i'd been influenced a lot by because in in the early days, my brother used to play the Cream records, you know, especially Wheels of Fire. And there was something about that Crossroads track that got me, you know. You know, funny how it, you know. Now you find out everybody loved that track, but yeah, to me, it was like because it's good. That's why. say it's yeah. funny how it can affect different people. It's no one telling you you got to listen to this because it's really great. No one's saying it's great. You discover that it's great because you just keep going back and listening to it. You know. Yeah. It's uh this self. You can tell when something is good. It affects you. It's like something and uh. And I was old enough then to think about, it's his phrasing. It's the, the space between the notes, you know, because on the one hand, I had Johnny Winter, who was like a million miles an hour and really that blues thing. And he was very um, flashy, you know, in a rough kind of a way, Johnny Winter. Uh, and there was a lot of passion in his playing, but a lot of speed. But Clapton wasn't doing that in the early days, you know, with Cream, when he had the 35 or the Firebird and the Marshall sound, when he had the Brown sound, you know.
0: That's why they call him Slowhand.
1: Exactly, and I used and that really made an impression on me. I think he's he's phrasing it's uh, it's he's got these spaces and he's he's kind of talking and uh, and uh, that's what I want to do. You know, the, whatever he's doing, I want to do it. Um, so then then the the whole playing in bands thing kind of started uh, in a very strange way because I you know once again I was writing songs so I wanted to play these songs that I that, that I was writing. Cool. So pretty- from the
0: start, no no cover band. You were straight into playing your I've own songs,
1: yeah well there's actually there's i think one of my friends is watching who i did play in a cover band i did a stint in a it's kind of like a wedding band of all things when i when i was a bit older probably i don't know 20 21 22. um uh, i'd never played in a cover band before and that was a great experience for me i think i played with the guys for about six months or maybe it was a year or something but I had to learn a whole bunch of songs and I'd never, you know, at least they were playing the usual stuff of the day, the, the popular bands, you know, the Eagles and Billy Joel and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I'd never done that. And I'd never had to work out other chords, but just by doing that, be like, Oh, look at these chords Billy's using, you know, (laughs) or look at the, how how come the Eagles sound so good when it's just GC and what the hell, you know, these are really simple chords, but they're making it sound good. So from a, a songwriting point of view, that was interesting to me that you didn't need to, um, you know you you could do it different ways you could either have a whole bunch of interesting chords or you didn't need to if you had a great melody and great harmonies and all this sort of stuff all this stuff is kind of learning stuff um but yeah before that i never played in a cover band even the state i remember having a rehearsal with the state and and one of the guys in the band saying this is before even uh, was virgil no virgil wasn't in the band then this is before virgil and one of the guys saying, look, we've got to do a cover, man. You know, we, you know, we could, we could have one cover because people will think you're up yourself. You know, you got to, you know, you're not paying respect to anyone else's music. So I'm like, oh, right. What should we do? One of the guys, said, um, I really want to do Born to Run by by um, um, Springsteen. Spring. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I had that record because, you know, because I always thought Bruce was in those days. Well, even before Born to Run, he was a singer songwriter. You know, that, once again, drawn to that kind of thing. And so we tried to play that <laughs> freaking laughable. <laughs> that, well, I think what I'm trying to point out is we were well, I was not part of that um, thing. I, I was never part of. Um, I think it, the, the older I get, the more I realize that I and I think a lot of people will say this, it's, you know, it's, nothing, it's nothing that individual or special, but you felt, felt like you didn't fit into anything. You, I remember. I can even go. Um, I remember once I might mention names. But I remember one of the guys in the band. And when we were doing gigs, you know, I remember playing the Corner Hotel, and and one of the guys in the band said, "Fuck, I wish we had a oh, excuse the language. I wish we had a song like Bloody Noise Works." You know, fuck, and that's great. You know, and I just felt this emptiness inside me. It was like, I'm not like that. I can't. There's no big voice like that. There's I don't want to do you know stuff like that. I mean, they do it great. Good on them, you know. But I want to do these different weird, wacky chords. And I, but I remember it hitting me hard. It was like this this thing of you've got to be like everybody else. You've got to compete. You've got to you know they're doing that stuff. You've got to. And in, and we'd go and see bands like that. And I remember seeing in excess too. And just looking at the band, going obviously they're world famous, but I'm not that. Whatever he's doing, I'm not that.
0: Yeah. Uh, but is this is still in the state is this still uh, in the this state days
1: still the state, yeah yep and this and i remember but but what's happening is you're comparing yourself and going we're shit we can't do that i mean look those guys look like gods i mean listen to the sound of it listen to look at their pa look at the gear they've got i mean we're just nothing we're shit but you'd have those moments but then you'd rally and you go, know, no fuck this man i'm going to do it my own way i don't care you you can be powerful with uh, something that doesn't have to look like that. You don't have to be jumping around like that. You, there's power in music. If you can find a way of doing it, you will do it, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, but they're great learning experience. They're great growing things when you're crushed like that, you know, Uh, it was like when um, our manager used to, I remember just before the state got signed, when we were trying, I was trying to get a record deal, something shocking. Um, it, it was like the hardest thing in the bloody world. I mean, I, I mentioned, um, you know, the guys from, um, real life coming into the shop and, and, uh, you know, other bands that had been signed and just thinking they, they were almost like on this other divide. They were like on the other, there was this big valve, this big cliff and they were standing on the other side in the good place. And you were on the other side, not in the good place. You know, they they'd done something that you, and there was this, you know, and I don't mind admitting there was this jealousy and kind of how do they do it? You know, I'm nothing unless like, you know, you, always self-doubt, you know, because all music are like that. There's always this crushing self-doubt that, uh, that accompanies you, you know, um, but I tell you what, to cut a long story short, um, to not turn into a philosophy, but this thing of sticking with the thing that you believe in, the, 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 the one thing that you do different or the things that you do different to anybody else, that don't line up with the mainstream, that make make you that's the important thing. That's the thing, the thing that makes you different. You know, yeah. that's um, that's that's your that's your stock in trade. You know why? <laughs> um, anyway, um, but you you don't know that at the time. You just keep trying and trying. And I remember when Peter used to. I mean, we had a tape of really this the first date album. And Peter took that tape around. He would go up to Sydney, um, probably drive. Um, and he would ring me and he, he would go and see record companies and he would go and see radio stations and whoever else. And he would ring me every night and I'd get the phone call and there'd be just kind of silence. I'd say, Pete, what's, what's happening, man? How'd you go, man? We, you know, I was excited, you know, he's playing our songs to record companies. Yeah. And the first thing he would say, cause the first thing he would say was don't give up your day gig and Fair, and that I just my body would just go because it was once again you failed. Mm. They, they don't like it. They, they can't hear it. you're not like any of the other bands on the radio. Um, you know they want uh, they want something that's like such and such an artist who's you know uh, doing something and um, you know you you're not that you know. But Peter believed in the band. He was hurt as much as I was hurt. It would kill him. He was crushed at he was almost—it was nervous breakdown time. I mean, I'm making it sound really dramatic, but it was because there was nothing else in our life. This was it. We had—we worked all this time to get a deal. This was it. We'd done our best. This time, at this stage, Virgin was in the band, even though the poor bugger had to play drums with his fingers on that album because I, I had an SB twelve. We didn't have a studio. You know?
0: Yeah, I did realize it was mostly drum machine on that album, except the last yeah. track.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and so. Uh, and so we just kept kept getting knocked back and knocked back and it was it, there was no there was no respite from it it was just complete failure you know and uh uh i remember I, this this would be now when i'm you know kind of in my 20s with this is just before the Suns. So i mean i've jumped a lot it's too too much boring stuff that's okay mate. Uh, um i remember and i only realized it in hindsight now that i was breaking down um you know we had different members in the band and I try to please everybody. I was one of those guys that tried to, I wasn't one of those guys that was like, no, nah, we're just going to do this. And that's what we're doing. You know, if you don't like it, piss off. I was, I was too accommodating. You know? Yeah. I was trying to please everybody and do, can we just be nice doing that? We, we don't need to fight. Can we just not, not probably the right personality to be, be heading a band, you know, to try and keep everybody happy. Um, and, and at the same time there, we were doing all my songs. And so, you know, it also, you can get to a situation where some of the other members might go. Well, it's just shit. You know, you, it's not working. It's shit. You know, and suddenly you're nothing again. You're just crushed again. You know. Yeah. Uh, but you have to rally again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just want to point out how low you can go. I, I mean, I, I was doing these things at night when I go to bed. Particularly when Peter was out up doing, you know, trying to trying to get some interest from record companies. I would. I didn't realise that, that I had a problem. But apart from having terrible stomach problems, really, really bad. Um, but I, every night I would had this routine where I turn the lights off in the house. This is so weird where I'd flick the lights um, at a certain a certain way that had to be. It was one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. So there was a, a bar of five in there, mind you. Um, and if I didn't flick the light off that way, I'd stop, reset, do it again. If I could didn't get it perfect in such a way that it went one two three one two three four five one two three the river, I'd do it again, wow. and I'd do that to every, every light in the house before I could go to bed. So this was some sort of
0: like an OCD some, thing creeping in. Yeah,
1: there. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Um, you know, it, and I think all that—it's trying to be an amateur psychologist. So I think all that stuff is based on: if you get it right, something good will happen. If you get it wrong, something bad's going to happen. So you've got to get it right. It's it all this weird. I was really on it. I remember saying to my friend, my lifelong friend who li- who lived next door to us then we're in, in the in the little flat we were living in, said to him, this doesn't work. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea what I'm going to do, um, you know, because I'd worked in factories. I'd worked in road gangs, worked in a music shop. I hadn't, you know, I had no skills other than I can play this guitar, you know, and yeah. I think I can write songs, you know? Yeah. Um and then you know we got signed. God damn it. And that was and guess who signed us? Ross Fraser. Ross Fraser.
0: There you go. There. Full circle. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So Ross was at this time now working for BMG, which was you know the Bertelsman music group, um, who are no longer at a, no BMG is still, of course they're still there. One of my good friends works there. Um and so Ross was he was looking for talent and I think he'd signed had he signed Richard Pleasance by then? He, Richard was the guitar player from Boom Richard Chopper, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Ross was one of those guys. He, he really believed in me, which was pretty amazing because no one else did apart from Peter, my manager, I don't think anyone else did. Um, he believed in me, you know, which was pretty bloody amazing. And, uh, he, 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 he loved the state record and he signed it. You know, he, he, uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, did you re-record
0: important. that album, or was no. no? That was just the demos. Before we and just got yes, it mastered. So we did it in the
1: bedroom on a Fostex eight track, and um, there used to be this program called. I had an Atari. This is before Mac, before Max? I didn't have a Mac there. No, it was before Macs.
0: Ten forty STE. Yeah, Atari Ten Forty. Yep. yep, I had one of those yep. back in the eighties yep. myself.
1: So I had Master Track Pro, which which, which could generate a Simti code, which means on one track, on the outside track of the little Fostex eight track, I could record a Simti. Um, stripe it with simti and then i could stop i could stop the tape and the freaking computer would stop at the right place and start at the right yeah. place. this was big time yeah. so this is what the sp12 the drum machine was running off you know yeah. <laughs> poor old <Verge>. jesus <laughs> um imagine having a like that in the band and he, but you know he stuck and he was in the band long before that too man he stuck he believed in me too so i think these are the the people who get you through this stuff you know um, he, he, heard the band one night. Um, he was playing with Tommy Emmanuel, and well, I remember we did the, the big, big beer barn in Melbourne called the village green. And, uh, and this, and the, the cutter in those days, it was the cutters before the state, Um uh, we did, uh, uh, you know, the, what do they call it? First band support band kind of thing. And Virgil heard the songs and these are really early songs, man, really early songs. And he came up to me and, and, uh, uh, he said hello and i think that was the first time i met virgil and it wasn't long after that, that 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 peter our manager said oh i got a phone call from Virgil donati you know he knows you're looking for a drummer and he wants to audition and i said what Virgil donati wow <laughs> yeah. um uh, and so yeah and so Virgil's in the band you know and, and people don't know it, but virgil's a great keyboard player and so i remember he, he always was,
0: used to play synth at the side yeah, of kid when i go see us play yeah that's
1: a good you can play bloody recommend enough i mean Virgil's the guy, Yeah. And I mean? Yep. So he would come around and he wouldn't play drums. He, we'd be programming synthesizers. That's what we'd be doing when we yep. went around. Um, and you know, he'd do all the backing tracks for the, for the, he's got a really good year for that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, so, uh, Ross finally signed the band and it, it, you know, it was with a, it was a full recording contract with BMG and I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And then of course, you know, it wasn't a hit. We didn't, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what. I hadn't come from that world of hits, you know, it was like, what I didn't realize was uh, looking back on it now is that you, you've joined her you, you've signed with a record company, they're a pop record company, they're going to want pop songs from you. Yeah. I just thought, well, they signed us because they loved us, and we're going to keep doing what we keep doing. But then came the first thing. Oh, you need a single for this album. I hadn't written, what was that, what was the song I wrote? Real Love. I hadn't written that yet. And they uh, uh, no, hang on a sec. No, 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 no. Of course, that was all done. That. that did I have to, I think we had to add that song to it from memory. Um, It's too long ago. Um, they wanted a single. So I had to do this, this, I wrote this song called real. And then of course that was the first time. You could almost say this is the first time where, um, instead of just doing exactly what I wanted to do, I was acquiescing to the record company. Um, and that's a, when I look back on it, I had no problems doing that. No, yep. no, I wasn't coerced. It was like, oh, you want me to write a hit song? Okay, well, so we yep. need a catchy, yeah, well, I'll try and do that. But I wasn't doing that before. You know, I wasn't, I was just writing whatever I wanted to write. And the weirder, the better, you know, check out this chord. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, um, you can hear some of the tracks on that first album. I've got some, and I, I was also using tunings and stuff on, the, on that album. But then pops up this one song, you know, Real Love is like a real kind of, um, anyway they were happy with that and so we went with that as the first single and of course I think it just sounded so bad or maybe it wasn't the right time or whatever we just couldn't get any traction with that track um, I remember we went on you know, we went on TV and everything I think we even went on Hey ha- we uh, do you guys have Hey Hey Saturday up there was it of course we session?
0: did yep, yep it- absolutely yeah. yeah I remember seeing you doing a promo for for uh, that and it was uh, yeah. Jono and Dano they had the music oh, show yeah. in the morning I remember you being interviewed on there yeah yeah
1: with the hair, but yeah,
0: you had the the bit banging down, yeah. and yeah, yeah.
1: By this stage, they'd taken us to, um uh, you know, our manager was very stylish, kind of a guy. His, he, him and his partners were running nightclubs in in Melbourne, so he's quite connected with that whole uh, world of art and something that I wasn't connected to because I'd come from the suburbs, the really really poor suburbs of Melbourne. I was just a bogan, basically, still am really. Uh, but he introduced me to all that, the other side of life, you know, which I never knew about, you know, he'd take us to these nightclubs and we'd sit there with like, what is happening? Yeah. What the lights, the people dancing, and all sorts of, I didn't, you know, didn't even know it existed, but they had, and, and a lot of people, it was a stage when a lot of people were really dressed up and I was, I was sort of being introduced to this world of fashion in a way, which had nothing to do with me, but I was interested in it. It was like, yeah. This is another world. This is like getting on a spaceship, you know? I yeah. wouldn't mind having part of this. So that's when, if you go back and look at some of the early state days, you start to see we're starting to dress up a bit and we've got some sort of 80s kind of blousy shirts.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like...
1: And then they got some designers for us and they actually made clothes for us. Like the... if you look at the cover of the state album, it's like all those clothes are handmade for us. <laughs> And I remember one reviewer saying, which actually really hurt at the time. She said she listened. She, she gave a review of the state album, and she said, "One day these boys will look at the cover of this album and and, know, and, and realize what a mistake they made." Or I'm going to like. find
0: that album cover. I have it on tape in there. I'm going to ask yeah. you a question, Phil, and I'm going to yeah. duck off just for thirty seconds, like I said would happen after too many coffees. and I'm going to shut that yep. door because it's getting a bit cold. Um, yep. So you, you're talking about the state. You, you mentioned before that you're into. Clapton and these kinds of guys, man, the state record has quite shreddy guitar player playing on there. You know, like, how did you get from Clapton to the state where you're, yeah, man, all over it? How did that happen?
1: I and I'll, I'll start- come back,
0: keep, keep talking.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I reckon we could probably start with uh, Brett Garsett. Uh, I remember I said to you that, you know, I'd heard Brett in the music shop. And in fact, Ross Fraser, because Brett had sent a tape to Ross Fraser um, just because Brett had done this uh, tape of his songs and he was looking for some, some sort of work or something. And it, and Ross had listened to it and um, auditioned him for John Farnham's band. So um, Ross had a tape, that, that particular tape, and he gave it to me. I don't, I don't know if brett knows that and so i had a tape of brett gassett you know doing all this legato stuff and a lot of chromatic stuff brett was doing in those days te- uh, techniques and a style that i really hadn't heard, even though i'd heard holdsworth this was kind of different brett was doing his own thing it was more more of a rock and roll kind of thing that brett was doing now i didn't uh, i didn't really sit down and start working that stuff out because i mean i'd seen brett play so i could see his hands i could kind of see what he's doing and i knew it was you know all the hammering on and the, and the legato thing I remember thinking, do I want to go down that track? But of course, it sounded so good to me that I thought, I've got I've to find out what the hell he's doing. So um, I did start working out some of that stuff. I worked out some of the particularly some of the chromatic stuff he was doing. Um, so that's kind of where it started, probably with Brett. And then at the same time, it wasn't long before Malmsteam kind of came out. And of course, I was working in the shop by then. We had all the tapes. They used to. What do they called? the? What they remember the blue tapes that used to come out by some company used to make uh, hot licks. I think it was. Hot oh yeah, licks, yeah, something. the
0: videotapes. Yep, yep. R E yep. H and hot. R-E-H licks that's and-
1: it. Yep. R E H. Yeah. Yep. And of I, course, I, I took that. Um, I took that one. Home, the the Melmstein one home. And I thought that's kind of cool. What he's doing. Uh, I thought his technique is really good. I got to find out how he's getting that. You know, he's he's he, he, his up and down picking is really really cool. I kind of like that. I hate to say it, but I, I was drawn to that more than the legato thing. There's something I, and I still do it. I, I mean, I I do very little legato these days. Um, you pr- you probably heard me doing the legato stuff in that uh, the MTV basement tapes. Yeah. when I was doing that, that but also
0: kind of almost like hybrid picking thing where it was like you were doing yeah. sweep arpeggios with yeah. Your fingers.
1: Yeah. yeah, which is just so wild. I was, yeah, I looked at all that stuff, and 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 and. and uh but i i preferred the picking thing there's something about the picket and the string that i love i'm just one of those guys you know i love the i love the legato thing too i love the way Holsworth does it um but all the jazz guys that i listen well, i was listening to they weren't using any sustain or distortion they were just used you know particularly benson really clean picking and there's something that excites me there's a lot of energy i get from that sort of thing so that's kind of where that started so you know I was listening to the Holesworth I was listening to to um, uh, to to um, another guitar player called Dan Huff American guitar player who the thing about the thing I liked about Malmsteam that I was drawn to was this guy's not just a guitar player he's in, not invented but he has he he has Presented a whole style of music. Here's the whole package. Yeah. He's not playing like anyone else. Yep. He's doing this classical thing. Now you might hate it, you might like it, whatever. You got to give him points. That sounded pretty amazing. Like that was a whole different world. He, welcome to my world. Who else? Did I, I almost
0: him? said one note, and you can tell it's him. Uh, but exactly. in that space of one note, he'll put a um, hundred notes, <laughs> hundred notes, and you know it's him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you see, I mean, I, I watched it again the other night. I mean, um, I mean, I don't. I, did i own any records i think i did buy one record one Melmsteam team record um uh, I, I obviously never tried to copy him because he was doing the, the you know the harmonic minor thing it was like that's just not going to fit into anything i do that's his world leave it alone you know he does that um but the thing i loved about it was it w- w- was a similar thing to holdsworth and people think how can you mention two of those names at the same you know in the same breath well the thing was what i loved about it was holdsworth had done the same thing in in, in uh, re he'd invented his own music he had invented a style and they're the guitarists to me that really really stand out you know um it's so different uh, he hasn't copied anyone it's like it's his thing you know mm-hmm. and to a degree you know more of a rock and roll way okay yngwie was doing that too and if i really go back i can honestly say that hendrix did that hendrix came out with a whole new sound no one sounded like that no one there wasn't no, no no one was even close yeah. he did it in, 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 and not only that he could write pop songs i mean foxy lady is a pop song i mean yeah you know third stone from the sun um uh all those things and then there was the, the blues thing with red house and that was a that that's the hendrix world so you got the Holsworth world the hendrix world and i reckon i would argue to a degree and i'm not a clap not that much of a clapton fan anymore uh i was only ever in fact i heard um, not that, that I'm saying I'm the same as him, but I heard Eddie Van Halen say exactly the same thing. As soon as he changed to a strat, I was gone, not interested. And, really? And I saw Van Halen say, so "I was like, yeah, me too, man." Yeah. Um, as soon as he got that sort of strat sound, I was like, now you sound like everybody else. Whereas in in Cream, it was, and I reckon I can I can mount an argument that they all, you know, Clapton in those days had. Their complete own sound happening. There was nothing that sounded like that. There were people trying to emulate it, and it, but it wasn't just Clapton. It was it was Jack Bruce. Oh my God, one of the greatest vocal, rock vocalists ever. Well, you can't even call him rock. It's it's sort of something else, uh, rock jazz. Um, Ginger Baker, that unit, that was wow. I mean, that was a whole that was a whole other thing. So they're they're the sort of players that I was really drawn to. People that, are, that not only um, you know. Could play guitar, but something they had something new and different to offer that you really couldn't hear. I mean, all right, you know, how can I can say you couldn't hear the influences. Well, obviously, the you know, Clapton is the whole blues thing sort of going on, but they did something else with it, they took it somewhere else. I mean, it, it anyway, maybe sometimes I think all this stuff is bullshit. Maybe it's just actually what you grew up with that you think is the best. I don't know, you know, they, I've heard it said that you know, between the ages of 14 and 17, that's the stuff that you are always going to say that's the greatest stuff that's ever been made. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're so probably maybe, not wrong, eh? Hey? Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, they're the sort of guitarists I was, I was drawn to. And, of course, there was always that technical challenge. And there's, a, I think there's a thing in blokes and guitar-playing guitar, p- guitar playing blokes that just is you're part of them is drawn to that challenge of the fast thing, you know? They just want to hear it. But I reckon they're the only people who want to hear it. I don't, I've come to
0: realise that, mate. I've come to realise yeah. that. You know, that. Yeah, there's that competition of oh, I can play faster than you. But then, you know, some of these guys that do that. When I get talking to people that work with those guys, they will straight out tell me, "I oh, mate, that guy's crap." I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Man, he just never plays the right thing for the for the song. He just wants to go blah, 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 and and yeah. you soon realise that people don't want to don't want to hear that." One of the greatest things I ever saw was a video on truefire.com, the great learning site, um, no affiliation, but um, Larry Carlton talking about the use of motifs in his wing. And I can remember watching that. And then the first time I played and thought, I'm going to try this motif thing. And a a guy that I've been playing in bands with since I was 14 years old, Mikey playing bass, and I started, I, I did it, you know, repeated like a bit of an idea. And he's just stopped playing and just over the music, I just heard him just go, oh, fuck, listen to that. I'm just like, oh, okay. And I did it a couple of weeks ago. There's a, a drummer uh, I was doing a thing with and playing and I did the whole mo- motif thing. And he was just like, oh, yeah, whatever that is. And is. was like, okay, yeah, that's what connects to people, you know, just give them something to yep. grab onto. Um, well, yeah, Just a million miles an hour all the time.
1: Well, that's it, and I think that you know it. it may interest some other guitar players, but um, I mean, I I don't mean to put it down. I mean, hell, you know, uh, ten minutes before I spoke to you, I'm sitting down shredding my ass off. You know, yeah, me too. (laughs) You got to keep it up. Yeah, there's something nice about it. It Just makes you feel good, or something, or you want to break that technical barrier that you've had. You're working on something, but I can tell you, for for the style of stuff that the 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 album that I just uh, just finished is kind of like the music that I've always wanted to do, or it's been an idea in my head for a long time. And so as I was heading towards, you know, I, I, th- I was thinking, I'm going to get, a, I'm going to start writing for this album. Uh, and I'm one of those guys that kind of writes, I write a lot, I write, I write all the time. I thought, when I get into this, man, I'm going to go deep into this and I'm just going to do this particular, so I, don't know, I don't know what to call the style, but it's going to have some sort of jazz in it. And to prepare myself for this, I'm going to go back and start listening to all these great bebop players uh bebop guitar players but mainly bebop saxophone players so I, I went right back to charlie parker i transcribed so much charlie parker stuff i'm thinking it's gonna be great i'm gonna be a i want to do a thing where you know the, the the music there's still hooks in it you know i don't want to do stuff that's so out there because i am not into that stuff i want to i want to do something that represents exactly you know uh, my background and, and and the stuff the the values that i hold important that feeling thing it's got to have that if it doesn't have that um, uh, I think, you know, people who know the, the balance that I've done, that I've been popular for will know that, you know, there, there, there is a feeling in it. Um, and that's what I wanted. Um, it's, it's a different kind of feeling, but it's still that feeling thing. And I thought if I, if I can get my bebop chops together, cause you know, I, as, as I told you, I, you know, had Wes Montgomery, George Benson, back in the early days. And I, you know, started messing around with that stuff and trying to figure out what they were doing. Um, and then uh, when I was in my early 20s, maybe 19 or 20, 20, I think I heard this guy called Pat Martino, who's, you know, well-known now, but in those days, like no one who everyone thought every time I said, Pat Martino, they say, what that that El Martino guy who sings, you know, all the old crooner ballads and stuff. No, I've right, got Martino. some
0: records right here of that guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, Pat Martino. I'd, heard, I'd been driving home one night and I heard this track on, on the ABC. Thank you. Thank you, ABC. Um, and, and it was the old Buddy Heb song, um, Sonny. But it was Pat Martino's band playing live. It's from a record called Pat Martino Live. Um, I think it's just called Live, actually. Um, and it just freaking blew my mind uh, because, you know, I would heard all the other stuff, but I hadn't heard someone play bop like that. The way he was um, what well, I didn't know the name of it, but now I know it was it, it's swinging the way he was swinging, the, 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 you know, the the lilt of what he was doing. And just these notes, like he's plays really fast, 16th notes over very complex chord changes. And I thought, I didn't know what he was doing. I the, the concept of actually changing scales in the middle of, I don't know what, I, I knew that there were some things like I'd heard some Steely Dan or I hear the guitar players, oh, it's not, they're not exactly playing in that good old box position. They've sort of moved there, uh, it's like, but I didn't re- realize that these guys had figured out you know, of course that's what be my business has been around since the 50s this is just ignorance coming up again because yeah. i've never yeah. had a lesson in my life i've never had a, a teacher say to me no 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 that's you got to use this scale or whatever oh, i tell you what i kind of wish i did um but, but i started to work out pat martino stuff um i got that record man i went down to this, this import shop we got in melbourne and ordered it and uh went and got it and man that's 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 sunny i listened to it and i thought i'm going to work this out and so I started working it out and it all made sense because the song was in A minor easy, 5th fret, box position yep. so even though he was playing chromatic I was like, yeah, it's in the box yep. it all fits in the box, I understand that's the note, there's nothing and all of a sudden you played a B flat because now I know that the, the next chord after the A minor was G minor 7 so he had, he had to change scale. excuse me, I'll turn that off you're call yeah. um, from he had to he had to change scale and uh, oh, sorry that'll go away in a second from oh i don't know who that is
0: um, Uh bring him bring him on for a chat <laughs>
1: no, it's probably someone it's Hello. probably someone, someone is oh there we go <laughs> i've got my robot working for me nice um i i hit this b flat and, and suddenly he, he was in a different he was it's, it's not a minor anymore yeah what the hell i mean yep. you know that's how dumb i was um and i thought it, it was almost like a cold thing went through him he's like He's changing scales in the middle of a song, and he's doing it fast. And he hit that note, and it's the perfect note to hit. I later on learned that, of course, that's you know the B flat he hit was, was the the third of the G minor chord. Uh, I didn't know that then. I didn't know what a third was, you know. Um, but I kept working on it, and I'm thinking, well, now he's in this position. Oh, cool. Oh, something's changed again. And this doesn't make any sense now because what had happened was he would got to a altered a altered dominant chord. And no scale I knew, no you know, pentatonic scale, nothing fitted that. And suddenly it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. What the hell? What What does this guy know that I, you know? And so then I started listening to the saxophone players, people like Phil Woods and um, Sonny Stitt. Um, sorry, he's a, he's a trumpet player. Um, uh, and a lot of Cannonball Adelaide. I don't know why. But I just Is
0: this still teenage Cannonball. years you're talking?
1: No, I'm probably 20 by now, you know, so it's no, I really started late, man. And let me tell you, I really did start late. But, you know, by hook or by crook, all these years later, I figured it out, you know, and with with, lately with a lot of help from YouTube, you know. So, like,
0: you you worked all this stuff out without formal lessons? You just...
1: Yeah, well, I never had a Never, ever had a lesson, but... And I reckon it stopped me a lot, but I don't know, maybe it it sort of really um, fired up my... Maybe it fired up my... um, Passion to 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 unravel the mystery of of this whole thing, and and and, you know, and it's funny, you know, Rick. Even if someone tells you, you know, look, you've got just got to use this scale, it's still there's still some magic to it. It's not even if you just use that scale, it still sounds like shit. Like it's like, what notes did they use in that scale? How did they put that together where it sounds so good? You know, it's like when people say, oh, you got to learn the modes, like. And then you run the scales and all the rest of it. It's like it just sounds like you're playing scales. And then you run the mode of God. The chords change. I'm going to run this mode. It's like yeah, well, yeah. that's what it sounds like. It's like yeah. the the really good players weren't doing that. They were doing their once again. They were doing their own thing. They had their own slant on it, you know. And then you, you know, then I find out about Pat Martino and he, he had an incredible life um, and how he learned and and the way that he approached the instrument, which was totally different to anyone else. And he did it himself. You know, he he figured out his method of getting around those changes, you know, and I reckon there's still a big element of that. This The teachers, teachers cannot tell you everything. I reckon the best thing, well, perhaps, uh, one of the best things a teacher can do is to uh, inspire that, um, that feeling of th- that, adventurousness, th- that discovery thing, like, Hey, do your own thing. You, it, it'll screw up whatever. Um, but you know, you will, you will learn what works and what doesn't work. Kind yeah. of thing. And that's kind of the way I did it. But the, the, the interesting thing about this album that I, that I worked on, I, you know, I had all this bebop, I'm practicing all my bebop stuff. I'm working at, I've been working on a lot of Clifford Brown is a great, incredible trumpet player lately. Um, and all this stuff's going to be so good when I go to record my album, I've got, you know, so many licks I can start from, I know how to get from this change to that change. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. No worries. And I started buying, um, I think, well, you know, it's going to be jazz. So I need a really good jazz box. You know, let's, uh, Let's see what, you know, I've got to get this. I'm going to get this jazz sound like, you know, Pat, Pat Martino, whatever. And so I started going through this, you know, buying guitars online because there's none here, you know, there's there's no music because we're a small country. um, There's very few shops that have a bunch of jazz guitars you can go and try, you know. Um, So I ended up with a, you know, a 50s 175, beautiful instrument, full of problems, of course, as I discovered. There's all those old instruments. (laughs) Didn't really get the sound. I started recording with them like, well, that sounds like shit doesn't that doesn't work it's like i had the song and suddenly this stupid bebop solo would come in i was like that's shit. that doesn't work so i went through a couple of stages where i stopped for a couple of years writing this record it was like well it doesn't work that thing about putting the jazz guitar stuff in it does not work with the song you know what's that's just not happening um and i you know i started going i started buying all these different incredible i mean there was some amazing guitars i mean i had these collings guitars and they're you know these boutique made things and they all sounded like shit. really at the end of the day well only because me because they were not serving the purpose that i wanted them to serve and to be to be really honest i really didn't know what that purpose was i was just floundering around trying to find this thing i cut at least, you know i got these there's something exciting about bebop i want to make this work in it. how can i make that work in a song without making it sound cheesy or you know it's got to be a different sort of stuff and um, long story short, one day my my daughter used to live in Japan. Actually, she lives home now. She's been home for a couple of weeks after doing her her quarantine. Um, she lived in Japan for eight years or something, and so we used to go and visit her. And you um, know, this is a great opportunity for me, to look for, for me to look for some more jazz boxes. You know, because right oh, did, o- did you go
0: to a a is that, the name of the, Is that the name of the suburb in Tokyo
1: that has oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah.
0: highest yeah. concentration of guitar stores in the world? Oh, oh fuck, that place blew my mind. It took me two days to get through that place.
1: Yeah, it's just like one shop after another. It's yeah. like, it's hard And, you know, I was looking for it. When I went, which actually wasn't long ago, um, I was looking for custom shops because I already got a custom shop, a uh, jazz Mart, So I was looking for another one. I wanted to, you know, go for punishment. Um, uh, although they were outrageously expensive. And yeah, they, they, they had a bunch of them, but I, it was just out, out of my league. They, by that stage, they're all up around the seven grand mark and, and the, the exchange rate was bad and guitars in Japan are expensive. They really are. They're much more expensive than uh, in America. That's for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I, I walked into this shop, I think it's called Ishibashi music. There's, there's like a chain, there's a chain of yep, is Ishibashi there. music. Yep. Yeah. And there's one in Nagoya where my daughter lived and, um, you know, it's, Bloody big store. I mean, what incredible amounts of vintage guitars and and they had this whole wall of custom shops. Now I wasn't there was no way in the world I was gonna I'm not interested in strats. I've been been there, done that, not interested in Les Pauls, been there, done that. Um I was interested in jazz boxes. Well I didn't really have that many kind of I was hoping to maybe get a um I don't know, anything that you know had that really great jazz sound to it, sort of thing. And um they didn't really have any. So I thought, well, I've got my, my wife is off doing some shopping, you know, getting some uh, clothes shopping with, with my daughter. And I thought, well, I sort of sit down and have a bit of a play and just, you know, um, I want to cut Fender, they had a wall of Fender custom shorts. I thought, well, what are, the, what are these things about? You know, well, that made them look older. That's a bit of a wank, isn't it? You know, cheese. I don't know. And I saw this jazz master it had this gold plate on it. I'm like, it's pretty ugly. I thought, but, you know, hey, it's got jazz on it. Looks interesting. i sit down with this one for a minute mate <laughs> it was like the heavens opened up. really it's probably the first time where i picked up an instrument and it was just like this is my guitar i just started playing this thing and it was i started playing some of the ideas i had for my songs and i thought no i'll do this i immediately changed what i was doing like this would be better if i on this guitar this and then i realized this this guitar just made is showing you the way of what you're going to do. Cause I had this real thing of, I'm not using any sustain. I'm not, I'm not going to bend a note. I'm using flat wound strings. Uh, and you know, I had these preconceived notions of, you know, if it's going to be bebop, it's going to be good separation between the notes. It's going to be really clean. Cause that's the thing I love about Benson, man. You can drive a truck between his notes, but he's so fast, but there's still this cleanliness, this, this incredible, gap, you know, even if he's using a little bit of distortion sometimes. And I thought, I'm not doing this jazz rock thing. I'm not doing the Larry Carlton thing. I'm sorry. It was of its time. It was great. I'm not doing that. I am not drawn to that sound at all. I hate all this sustain. This is where a whole bunch of guitarists are going to be going. This guy's a wanker. But really. That's where I was at. It's like, I don't want to hear another distortion pedal. I've had enough, you know, there's a the 10 billion guys using distortion pedals. I ain't doing it. I'm going to play clean and i started playing this jazz mart, and i realized maybe a little bit of drive would be good phil you know started started to make me see that there is a way to do that this guitar at the time had um had round one strings on it so you know and round one strings don't suit my style because i'm i'm a um uh what do you call a benson picker i suppose i hold my pick completely sideways like it's almost it's almost 90 degrees it's not quite it's probably 80 degrees i mean so my, my, my pick rakes over the, the round wound strings and goes, Krink! sounds horrible. Oh, really? So, yeah. Right. So that's why I use flat wound strings because they don't, and that's how Benson gets away with it. Cause he's a you know, 90 degree guy too. Well, I'm not really quite 90, but almost. So if you're using round wound strings, yeah, you can get away with it, but it just sound, that, that does sound pretty rough kind of thing. So but I knew that there's something about this guitar, the way that it sounded. This guitar was one of those ones you pick it up and it just resonates and you know, it's even. It's like every chord you play and everything I played was in tune up and down the neck everywhere. It was like, there's something about this freaking guitar. What's going on? You know, and I got started to get really excited because I started to play some of the tunes that I was working on. and As I say, I started to rewrite them on the spot, you know, no, wow. I didn't want to try it. And I had the tremolo on, and I was like, oh, oh well, man, that chord sounds good with the trem, you know. And, uh, I, it, it kind of, it really was a light bulb moment or something happened that it was, it's, it's, I've never had that before. That was the first time. And I really didn't know how good this was going to sound. This is it wasn't even plugged in. I hate plugging guitars in shops. I hate it. I get really embarrassed. I don't want to be one of those guys in the, I just can't do that for some reason. I don't mind if other people do it, but I'm not going to, yep, yep. um, um, I get embarrassed. Uh, but I knew there was something about this guitar. So I got back to my daughter's place and I, and, um, I made an international call to my mate who's a guitar repairer. I said, Paul, Paul Gail, his name, great guitar repair. I said, um, oh, I've just played this guitar, man. I've got it. And of course, Paul knows my history. Because he, <laughs> he said, yeah, sure? yeah sure. <laughs> that's another guitar for Phil. You know, no, 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 this is the one, man. Cause I knew that at that time, this, what's it called sets or whatever it was, this thing where if you bought a guitar from overseas, if they, and it had Rosewood on it, if they caught you coming back through customs and it had a, they could just hold that guitar. Cause this is when it really just started. No one really knew what was going on, but it was very dangerous for you to buy. And I was talking to people and they'd say, oh man, just risk it, you know, buy it. And, and, risk. and the other thing was this guitar was like almost six grand. It was like, I mean, I know cool. people are used to it now, but I'm not used to paying Zikram for a bloody, you know, no, no. Yeah. A, a, a a um, you know, lump of wood. Basically, if it was a boutique jazz guitar or something, I, I can see it, you know, whatever. So, it, it, but I thought like, there's something going on. I can't stop thinking about that guitar. It was like a love affair, you know. Yep. Um, but I knew I couldn't buy that one because I mightn't get it back into the country and I wasn't going to pay six grand or seven grand and, and have it, have some customs guy saying "No, sorry, it's got yeah, rosewood on quarantined. it. quarantined. We have to, um, uh, we, we're going to, so here, so I, I, I ordered one. And, uh, and so it's exactly the, because the great thing about custom shop is you can, um, you know, you can tell them, this is the one I want. It's a 1958, cu- uh, closet classic and they weren't making it anymore but, um, they, um, Paul knows that, you know, knew the guys at Fender pretty well and nice. they kind of knew of me, I guess. And they said, okay, we'll make it one. So right. nine months later, this, this one arrived yep. and it was exactly the same. It was like, yep, this is exactly the same feeling I had. It's got flat, big flat wound strings on it. You'll, you'll see. Yep. No, I don't bend strings. You won't on, on the recording. You will not, you can, but it's pretty hard cause they're 12s and they're flat wound. So, you know, yeah. yep. um, and, but here's the thing, Okay, this is the and this is the weirdest thing of all, in all those years of playing in the band and all that sort of stuff, I never, ever got a guitar sound that I really liked. It was always really, yeah, It's clo-. no, never. It's close enough. But, um, uh, I, I, you know, I really envy Jack because Jack, you know, he knew the sound he wanted and he knew how to get it, you know, and he, his sound on stage was impeccable, just really fattened for that, you know, for that kind of style that yep. he was playing. Uh, and I never could get that goddamn, you know, I, I got the Soldano preamp, the whole goddamn thing. And everyone's going to be saying that. It's in your fingers, man. It's in your fingers. Actually, what, yeah, some of it is, but some of it's not. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I've been through this whole thing of I really can't get a good guitar tone. I just always felt that way. Which is, you know, people are thinking, you're, you're crazy, Phil. But yeah. I really felt that way. It's just one of those mountains that I've never climbed. I've, wow. never, I've been to so many guitars. And, Maybe just uh, really
0: picky. Just really picky you know maybe what you no, hear I, in your head and you just can't get it
1: i think Rick it's like i didn't know what i wanted yeah i did not know what i wanted you know the closest i've come to knowing what i wanted is when i hear a great um jazz guitar sound like an old um <clears throat> an old benson thing where he's playing through an old amp that's you know that uh, has been re- recorded through an old tweet or whatever and and part of that and a lot of that's that benson sound is the way he picks yeah, an right. enormous amount because i know because i've because now I picked that way, and I've discovered it's big. It's a big part of what changed my sound as well. Now um, you
0: mentioned Jack's sound being really good. Now I mentioned to yeah. you before that um, I'm good friends with Louis Shelton. He's been on my channel a lot. He actually just lives around the corner from me. Oh, right. uh, yeah. And he, when I had um, Jack on as a guest, and I mentioned that to Louis that he was coming on, mm. he said, "Man, that that Jack Jones, he's the type of guy that would have." 10 marshals in the room and go through them all just to find that right one. Um, were you ever that guy as well? Were you like comparing everything? And
1: I was always disappointed. I, I, no, it, it sounds like a miserable story, but no, I never ever ever came close to getting that. I mean, you got also, you know, Jack was he was hunting that sound. I mean, he he would go to LA and he would go to Bradshaw and he'd have Bradshaw make him stuff. and and he, he 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 had certain guitar players that he loved and wanted to kind of sound like those guys um he was on a path with that at this stage i was more of a uh, at that stage of the band anyway where the band had now taken over my life i'd given up on the guitar playing thing in as much as yeah i, I really wasn't practicing any solo stuff i was writing this now was my thing i you know we we're on this path we've got this recording code, we had a successful record the next one's got to be successful. I was just writing, I, I really, and I just, Jack can do all the solos. I don't, you know, let him do it. It sounds great. I don't, I, I sort of let go of it. I I'd yeah. suddenly a different person, but, um, and in a way that was a relief because I could forget about trying to find this goddamn sound that I could never find. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and here's the weirdest thing I was, I was going to tell you, and this is so freaking bizarre. Uh, when I got the, when I, I, I got this guitar, I thought I'm going to put flat wire strings on it. I didn't know if that would work. Um, uh put, putting flat wound strings on that, uh but see these are a 25 and a half inch scale where, whereas all the gibsons are what 23 uh 20, 24, 24 and three, three quarters, quarters. Yep. yeah uh, and so flat wound strings on those on, on the jazz boxes sound great on a les paul doesn't work for me i know there's early benson clips with him with him playing a les paul and he sounds good on that but playing wise, it i tried that i tried that with a gold top it didn't work for me um so once again didn't know what i was looking for so i put the flat wound strings on it Um, and, uh, plugged, plugged it in to, I got a Princeton reverb, little fender, Princeton reverb, real amp, and plugged it into that and used a bit of distortion. And, and, and that was the first time, uh, I got a sound that was like, Hey, this is kind of working and it's working because there is some drive on it. You know, uh, I dropped that whole thing of no, no overdrive, you know, but it was still a I could still play bop on it. I could still play the, you know, the fast, the faster bebop kind of lines. And then I started to, uh, it's, it's weird. The music kind of tells you what it wants to be. I was trying to force something onto something that I had, you know, and, and the music will tell you that, you know, that's not going to work. Um, but then I got the Kemper and I thought, I'll, I'll try I'll try I was going to just try it out. And I, and I got one of the, um, it's crazy. Why, why get a Kemper when you've already got a Princeton Reverb? Well, I got the Kemper. I tried a Princeton Reverb thing on it, uh, and that was it. Then I recorded something, and it was like, l- once again, this light bulb thing, like, that is your sound. Cool. That, and it was the combination of this Are guitar. you using the toaster
0: head, or have you got the, the floor no, unit?
1: No, it's a, it's a rack mount. Yep. It's a rack mount. So it was a combination of that um uh if anybody listens to the to the if they go and listen to custom made on spotify or whatever uh, it's a combination of uh, the Kemper um and a different i can use different i can get pretty much the same sound out of most overdrive pedals but i must admit i do love on the album i'm using a, a way huge uh, what's it called it's a way huge excuse me while i disappear you right mate. it's special a way huge overrated special because that's got a huge it's it's actually designed by um uh who's the blues guy Bonamessa joe Bonamessa yeah
0: yeah right cool
1: made by, made by dunlop pedals they're pretty cheap yeah but i listened to, joe Bonamessa's is not, not one of my favorite guitar players i really respect him as an artist he's, he's you know he's, he's done incredibly well um I, I do like the way he plays um and i, and I like the way he sings but I love his sound like for that style that he plays. And this guy is a connoisseur of of sound. I mean, if you look at his collection of amps and all the rest of it. So when Joe speaks about sound, I listen, he knows particularly because yeah, he knows and there's this one clip, if you, if you care to watch it on YouTube where he's sitting backstage and he's just got a little Fender champ in another in the toilet and he's got a, got a little mic on it and he's just saying, he's playing a goal top, one of his, and he's talking about how Clapton got his sound. And he's got that sound. He's, He's got the brown sound. It's yeah. He's playing it. It's right there. And he's just messing. He's saying, look, this is how you do it. You mess with the tone control here. And He does this. And it's like, this guy's really gone into it. He knows, you know, he he knows sounds better than anyone I've ever heard. Before. Well,
0: his dad owned a vintage guitar store, if I remember right. right. So yeah.
1: that, that probably helps. That explains it. Um, so when he said, and, and then they, they, then I saw another clip of him standing on stage and he's, you know, got all these amps. So says a sound check or something. And uh, he's saying, look, I've invented, this, I've, I've worked on this pedal and I use it on stage and it's designed for an amp that's already overdriven. If you've already got your overdriven sound, this one will just add something else. And we've really worked on the tone controls mode. And I thought, OK, I'm going to try that pedal because, if you know, I, I love the sound this guy gets. Not that I, I don't want that sustaining thing or any, any, anything like that, but tone wise, I want to hear what that does. And man, that pedal did it for me. That was like, and that's what's all over the album. And so cool. it's a combination of uh, this guitar because I've tried other jazz masters. No, it's this jazz one, master. Yeah, yep. And I, I think it might be the neck. I think that's where a lot of the sound's coming from. I mean, it's a, it's a, you probably can't hear it over there, but it's a, it's a really, it sounds like a jazz guitar, man. It does. Yep. It's just freaking unbelievable. Um, domestic flat wound strings, the, the swings. Um, and, and it's a combination of me playing sideways as well. So it's, it's the way the string plucks when you... And you put It that does through. sound
0: like a jazz guitar.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It does. I mean, yeah. and it's like... It's really fast guitar to play too, you know, because the strings are so heavy. See, people think, oh, man, heavy strings, you won't be able to play that. No, it's easier. Because you don't have these floppy little things and you don't... When, yeah, you, right. when you, I can hit the string really hard with my pick it doesn't move yeah you do that on a normal guitar and you've got to deal with this inertia that's sort of going on so if you want to
0: but you also said you're not bending strings no yeah
1: no you might i might do a uh maybe a half half a semitone that's about all you'll get out of me um that's that's an attempt to well it's not really it's like i just love that in my own mind and this is probably you know illusions of grandeur I think I'm on the path of finding my own thing, particularly nice. if, if when you hear the other tracks from the record, you'll hear what I mean. I, I don't think anyone else sounds like it. The guitar has this, um, it sounds like a jazz box on the record. You can hear this, they're like, you know, that thing that Hendrix does and Stevie Ray where on the bass strings of the Strat. It has this beautiful, you know, I call it a bounce. It bounces. They get this bouncy sound out of the string. It just sounds stringy and bouncy and, the note is round you know this guitar has that you
0: know? nice nice
1: uh, I'm, I'm trying to get it out of another guitar but here's a have, a have a look at this train wreck man in fact i can't even hold it up on do <laughs> yeah
0: geez you got the guts hanging out of it or something have you yeah
1: look at this <laughs> this is typical Phil. This, this is what do you got going slide. on there <laughs> well it's a water slide oh the knobs are falling off it's a water slide and i've just got it i've got it mocked up with a plate pretty guitar it's really really pretty well i'm putting some i'm putting some lolas in it and and metal
0: (laughs) pickguard huh the aluminium
1: yep now i think my my concept only and i know some guys have tried this but i think that's a big part i I think it's a part of the sound because i got this guitar with a with a really cheesy plastic plate on it this yeah listen to it it's just crap
0: yeah right okay
1: i reckon it's funny that you bring
0: that up. I was talking to Charles Cillia, the luthier in Sydney. Um right. I, I want to get him to build me a, a custom strat with a Floyd Rose and I've got one here uh that uh my black strat the burnt one I set fire to it to make it look like uh Dweezil's uh Hendrix strat. And that's got a it's got an aluminum pickguard on it and that's that's got a sound about it. It's it's yes, really cool and I was I was brought that up with Charles. It's like, "Man, Am I going to destroy the tone if I go for, for one of those? He's like, well, it does totally affect the tone. He, he said even just shielding the cavity you know, with all the, the copper and everything, he, he finds that that yep. affects the tone as well. Yep.
1: So. I, re- I reckon it does. And, and for me, because a lot of my sound is in the initial attack of the note, and then the note blooms and dies. I'm yep. not looking for a big sustain thing. A lot of my sound comes from the attack. And so I reckon that's, I think that's where this, the play, anyway, I'll know pretty soon because I'm going to have Paul sort of, sort of fit that guitar out with it and see if I can come somewhere closer to, to this particular sound. But cool. it does make me think, you know, as you know, I'll, I'll be the first guy to say, look, it's just a plank of wood and it's got a neck on it. I mean, don't give me all this crap about bloody tone woods. and. But I tell you what, uh, I'm wrong because this guitar sounds unbelievable, you know, uh, and I would pay another seven grand if I had it to get another one, you know, because I'm so scared of losing this one because I've never had that, that situation where this is your sound. This yeah. is your guitar. End of search. I've sold everything else. Um, all my, I'm left. I've got a couple of just, you know, burners to, um, to get me different sounds and stuff. If I ever have to do something else, which I hope I don't. Do you um, still have
0: a Pacifica? Cause I know you was playing a Pacifica I, back in the Southern Sun I,
1: I, I, um, See, I don't, I don't work for Yamaha, so I can probably say it, but I don't want to offend everybody that's got one. I wanted to smash that freaking guitar. Really? Uh, oh, it, it was a great guitar to play, but it had a thin mahogany body. It had no body tone whatsoever. And if you, if you listen to that particular, uh, you know, that's that, uh, the duel, the guitar duel we're doing in make a move, um, on YouTube, on the MTV thing, uh, you hear Jack's tone, then, then listen to mine. It's, mine's like a little mosquito going, and Jackson's like, Whoa!
0: but he had a genuine Charvel that he was playing, had right?
1: A big Marshall cabinet, but man, I had a 200 watt power amp. I had a Soldano preamp. I mean, I had a rig sitting there. There was also a, a I think, it was, was it using a quad box? I think I was using a quad box. It sounded like shit. Hey, and did you know that not-
0: <laughs> Did you know you said you just said quad box? Did you know that it's only Australians that say quad box? My international what viewers I- are going to go, a what now? Yeah. I, I found that out recently talking to um, a, a German, uh, Thomas Blue who makes this great little uh, blue guitar, amp one floor uh, amplifier. And he brought it up. He said, when I was in Australia. Everyone kept saying this word. What is it? What do you call a speaker box? I went, what? A quad box. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Nobody says that, but you guys. <laughs>
1: just a 412 is that what they call just a 412
0: yeah yeah absolutely now Phil I I want to jump back a little mate. now I'm aware you've got a uh, a new solo album out and you've you've touched on that and I'm going to to come back to that because we need to tell people all about that but we kind of jumped a bit mate. we we were talking about you um, playing in the state as you guys were called then Um, how did you guys transition from being the state where you were the front man and lead guitarist to becoming hmm. Southern Sons. How did that all Southern come Sun. about? Oh,
1: it was, really, it was quite a quick change. We, uh, with, uh, uh, we were contracted for, the contract was, I think it was two, two or three albums or something. I forget what the standard deal was back then. So we'd released the first one. And, uh, you know, as I say, it was basically the, the demo or the demos, or we thought it was a record, but um, that we'd done on the eight track. And that was the first state album. So then we started to work on the second sort of state album. And we were sending the tracks to, um, to the record company to listen to, and we were getting really bad feedback. Now this scared the, pa- the pants off me because, you know, they would drop you as soon as I look at you. Uh, and it had taken us so long to get that recording deal. I was not going to go back to, you know, that was like, he <laughs> might have put a gun to my head. Um, uh, and uh, so we weren't getting good feedback and you know, we had a guy from New York come out and he, he was kind of, one of the guys in the record company and we did a special showcase for him and i don't know if he was that kind of impressed because you know at the time you know that was looking at us as a pop band i mean i'm not a pop look at me i'm not a you know jesus um when, when you think of the bands that, that were around at the time um we were nothing like that and they didn't want to know about the guitar playing they didn't understand all that any of that bullshit, any of the shredding and stuff they didn't that had nothing to do with anything right. And so it was like, I was getting this feeling again, like we're going to get dropped and we're going to be back. It's now out of Ross's hands. If, if the company, cause Ross was the A and R guy, but he wasn't running the company, yep. if the company says, we're not going to spend any money on these guys. That's pretty much it. And I, I said to Ross, well, what's the problem? You know, what, 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 what's going on? And they, and they, and Ross came back and said, you know, they had a meeting or something and he said, he said, well, actually Phil, the problem is you. Um, you know, your, your your voice is a certain style and it's it's not it's it's not gonna suit what you're trying to do, you know. Maybe you should find a singer. And you'd you'd think my reaction would be um you know heartbroken and here we go again, you know, but it wasn't. My reaction was hella fucking Lulia. <laughs> like, oh really? Not want to be the singer. You know? Yeah, right. Um and so uh you know, we had a band meeting and I said, look, you know, if we wanna keep going as a band we've got to find another singer you know that, that that's what they want and virgil said hey i'm working with this guy uh, in a, in a cover band called uh, hans valen
0: hans valen
1: yeah and he said this guy jack man he's he's a great singer man i heard him singing at sound he's not the singer of the band but i heard him singing at soundcheck and he's really good and, and he said we're playing at the corner hotel come down and have a look so he we went down to the corner hotel and uh man this guy Jack gets on stage and he wasn't singing, I think he sang one song or something. And um, the whole audience looking at Jack, there was the lead singer, this lead singer was doing all that Van Halen stuff. No one's looking at him, everyone was looking at Jack. Jack was just standing there with his head down and just cutting all the solos and sounding awesome. And then I think Jack sang one song, and it was like we just looked at each other and went, Holy shit, <laughs> what the fuck? who is this guy? You know, he was. And then we found out later that he'd actually auditioned for the band before like when he was fifteen or something and I think he was a bit pissed that he didn't get in the, we he's fifteen we couldn't even do a pub it would have been against the law you know? yeah. um anyway so we, yeah we, we asked him if he wanted to audition and uh you know he was a bit sort of wary because he, uh, he 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 really wasn't sure you know because you know he was a guitar player and he didn't know if he wanted a bit of lead singer of, of a band or something and so we went into we, we'd already started recording the songs and we so we'd recorded always and ever. Um, we hadn't done heart and danger. They hadn't been written yet, but we did, did have always That was the track always and ever. And that was in that very studio that I was talking about the metropolis on yep. the very desk that you're talking about on yep. the SSL and Doug Brady was, um, uh, mixed, uh, was the engineer Ross Fraser was producing. And so we had the whole track recorded, you know, I'd done the guitar solo on, on, uh, uh, always and ever. And we thought, let's get Jack to do this track. We didn't know if it was in his key or whatever. And he sang on it and I was like, I just, holy shit. (laughs) I'd really struggled with this song, trying to sing it, you know, even though I'd written it and it's one of my C tuning songs. And, uh, I remember when I was recording it, it was really frustrating. Ross would say to me, "Uh, can you try and sing it like the guy from talking heads or just to try and do something different. And what do you, I think what he was trying to say to me was do something really out there, like, you know, cause I was trying to sing it like a pop song. I'm not a pop singer. I never was a pop singer, but I'd written this song. I knew this song's got something about it as far as a, a pop song is concerned. I really like this song, but I was trying to sing it like a real pop singer. I, yeah. I can't sing like that, you know, yeah. big notes, all that sort of stuff. It sounds, when I do it, it sounds really horrible. I'm okay doing my stuff when it's just written for me and you know, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I naturally would sing. I cannot sing a cover. I cannot, I will never sing a cover because I can't do that. Um, and I'm not embarrassed about that. I'm kind of a bit proud actually. Um And Jack sang it and was like, this fucking hit. It's just, wow. you know, I don't think about his, but it's sounds like one to me. And so I could see Ross was getting pretty excited too, but here's the thing, and I've said this on another interview so I can say it again ross and i went for a walk down the corridor and he said uh, and he uh, ross said so what do you reckon and i said man he's in it's it's fucking great and he said and ross said i'm not sure really not. yeah ross he said uh, he said i reckon he's three quarters away the there and i reckon it was he sounds like john he sounds john, like John. yeah of course yeah yeah and that's probably what his worry was but he didn't want to say it um but to me it was like kid looks great um i probably wasn't thinking that because i didn't know anything about that i didn't know we'd get that reaction when jack was on stage that all the girls would be like look at this guy i we don't i didn't know that I, I don't know how that works you know um there's not. i didn't know enough about pop to know that i just knew you know it sounded amazing i'd i'd heard someone else sing one of my songs and it was like oh that's be, that's okay this is you know, he's not having any trouble with the notes he's he 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 knows how and the thing is with jack he can he can deny it till the day he dies but that guy knows how to interpret a song he re, and it's just in him to do it you know he knows how to interpret a song and he will make you feel that thing you know that's that's, that's a big difference you know, isn't it
0: that's a big yeah. difference i know I know people uh and, and I work a little bit as a as a producer locally and there, there's people who are singers and then there's other people who are trying to sing and the difference mm-hmm. is it's not a technical thing. It's they're believing every fucking yep. word they're singing. Their heart is in it.
1: Yeah, and... Jack's a very nice guy, and 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 I think he f- he probably didn't even know it himself that yeah he probably knew he can sing. I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves, but I don't think he knew he could connect so much with people with that voice. You know, it's that connection thing. It's like when John when Farnham sings. You know, it's people say why is he so goddamn popular because it connects. You know, yeah. it, it, but here's the thing, Rick. I reckon. Some of us feel it, some of us are not into that. Some of us seem into other because I've, I've learned that as, I, as I've gotten older, some songs that a lot of songs that I think are classic, most emotional, beautiful songs. I look at them and I think no one's listening. Like I look at another song that's really commercial. It's like that has got way more hits. How come people aren't going for some people are just not wired like that, that? And there's nothing wrong with that. They're just it's just different. You know, yeah. but Jack has that thing a vulnerability about him because he was, he, you know, he was a young guy. And I think he was, he was not sure of, of what was going on in his life at the time. He was kind of in this change kind of period, I guess. Um, I mean, we had to, we had to convince the guy to join the band. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't that interested, you know, really, um, uh, you know, we, he, and I, I can kind of understand it, you know, because he was, he was quite happy playing guitar in this band and they were probably, you know, you had probably had enough bucks to get by kind of thing. Yeah. He didn't know us. We were completely new guys, you know, um, didn't know us that when I mean, he probably knew a Virgil kind of thing. Um, but I think, um, maybe when he heard himself coming back on the track, he maybe thought, well, something going on here sort of thing. Um, so then, uh, you know, he. We, we said, you know, you walk it into a you were walking into a recording deal. it's done. we've got the deal we we're, we're, we're signed you know you're yeah. walking in I don't know if that meant anything to him or if he knew much about that at the time. I don't know what he was looking for to be honest. I really really don't know, but um or whether he was just playing hard to get or something uh,
0: yeah I, 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 I don't go back and watch these interviews. I find it very hard to watch myself, but I seem to recall. Erwin Jack uh, saying that he was absolutely stoked to join you guys, and that you know he'd been wanting to play yep. with in a band with with Virgil forever. But I guess he already yep. was in, in Hans Valen, wasn't he? Now yep. you said before that um, Ross Fraser's hesitation may have been that he sounded so much like John Farnham, yep. Um, yep. and of course you wrote "Burn for You"
1: yep.
0: by John Farnham. Did that come afterwards? After? Afterwards, it, it yep. did. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, that, that song, uh, or that idea, I mean, I didn't have the whole song, but I had i had the whole guitar part sort of going on. Um, that was, as I said, when I, when I heard Jack sing my song, I thought, okay, this is what you are. You're a writer. That's when it really kind of dawned on me that, you know, you don't have to be the front. You're not a front guy. Forget it, you know. And that was really easy to let go That's of.
0: really hard to let go of, man, ego-wise. There's a lot of guys oh. out there, not just guys, girls, that, oh, you, you're no, great, but idea. you're not a front person, you know, and it's yeah, a hard yeah. thing to let go of, isn't it?
1: It, it, well, well, you said it wasn't I mean, for you. No, uh, that was just a, 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 you know, and Jack now knows what a, what a responsibility that was. You know, that is a whole other thing. And I don't think he was ready. For, I mean, you know, I, can, I, can, I think I can say that as a 19-year-old, he wasn't ready for that sort of attention. He didn't know what hit him, you know. I mean, it, on one side, it was just great, you know, great. They love us, you know, bloody hell, you know. But on the other side, you know, hey, you've got to be at the, at the uh, we're doing a seven o'clock interview tomorrow morning. Uh, They want us to sing uh, Heart and Danger, uh, which has got a top A in it. Um, uh, And they want us to sing blah, blah. And it's like, holy shit. And this is just going on and on and on. And when you're on tour, you know, the other guys would be, you know, sleeping in and me and Jack would be fronting up the radar. There's all those sorts of things. And then there was all the media kind of stuff. I mean, we turned into a pop, pop band. Like, what the hell? You know, suddenly we found ourselves in this situation. Um, But the funny thing was with the band, Rick, was that, you know, when we did gigs in Melbourne, there'd be all the musos midway through the audience or standing up the back, just they you know, like, you know, come on, arms you folded, know. yep. Well, yeah. It's Donati, it's Jones, it's Buckle. Come on, you know, come on, you got to do this thing. And you know, Jeff and and, and Peter. Um, uh, so we had the the musos knew what was going on, and then we had all the girls up the front, and it was it was this strange kind of thing of what are we? <laughs> what
0: the yeah, hell are yeah, we? yeah. Um, uh, as I said, man, like I used to rock up to you, you guys' gigs in the afternoon knowing you, you'd you be sound-checking and, and letting loose a bit. And And, yeah. Um, yeah, but the, the people who are more into the pop music didn't know that that you guys – it's yeah, like but, John Mayer. You know, I mentioned to people about John Mayer as a guitar player who strictly listened to the radio and pop. And they went, "Oh, does he play guitar? And it's just like, does he yeah. play guitar? <laughs> yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, he really kept that not well hid, but he played that. I mean, you know, he played that well. He he knew what was important to yeah. to his to his larger audience, I guess. But now he's used it. You know, he slowly brought it out, and now all the musos know what a great player he is. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, it was a it was a big change. It was a big change. You know, all of a, all of a sudden, I'm not the leader of the band anymore, and blah blah. I'm not the singer, but I I sort totally of embraced it, you know, and and I felt a, a freedom of oh, now I can I can write. Um, in, in this other style where I don't have to worry about the range because, you know, Jack can, Jack can sort of put it up there. Although I bet you Jack's wishing that I had written some of those songs. In- <laughs> 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 um, and, uh, so that's when I wrote heart and danger, cause then Ross went, when, you know, we'd been working on the, the state out al- on the, uh, what was going to be the Southern Sons, uh, album um ross obviously had heard the songs i've been writing for that record and he said well uh he rang me one night and said hey john's working on another father's working on another record you want to do you want to come and write you know uh, i said no i'm busy man i've got other things to do <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> um, so obviously so suddenly it's like here i've come from you know being in that situation where i was you know ocd had stomach problems like you know, suicide, not I wouldn't say suicidal, that's a strong word to use, but you know, just not knowing what's going to happen and, and yeah. not having a, a great deal of self worth. You know, you don't even take so many knocks before you, you know, yeah. before yeah. it has a, its effect on you. And so, suddenly, here I am being asked to write uh, with John Farnham. It's like, holy, and John to me was like, to all us musos, even if you weren't into pop or whatever. You knew that John was the most outrageously talented, and you know he was a god. He was like a god, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't because he was a pop. He, cause he, at that stage, he, well, he'd done *Whispering Jack*, so he was huge. But even before that, I remember when he was with the Little River Band. We, we, were, everyone was like, "This guy's unbelievable!" You know, yeah. all the musos knew that no one can sing like that. It's freaking ridiculous, you know. Um, so for me to be then the next day because when he got I got the call it was like yeah come tomorrow it's like oh well I just don't happen to have any songs but yeah sure I'll be there tomorrow um, to stand in the room next to him and there's John Farnham was like that was a freak out I got to tell you um, uh, t- it turned out he was the nicest guy on the planet sort of thing and the, and the easiest guy to work with but uh, yeah so suddenly it had gone from all that to Whoa! suddenly I'm standing there with John you know writing writing songs. Um, and it was that first day that we did burn too. So, man, wow, big, change, big change. Yeah. Um, so, so, did you
0: write that the lyrics for that as well, or was did he? Write
1: we wrote to- the we wrote the lyrics together. Together. Um, yep. I I came with. I had the um the, the you know the the guitar thing. I didn't know what to do with it. I'd sung it. Um, uh, I'd sung, you know, uh, just a version of what I thought the chorus would be yeah. and I thought, I can't sing it. Uh, this is, you know, maybe one day I'll play this to Jack kind of thing. I knew it was a really nice guitar thing, you know, and I wasn't sure about the burn for you thing cause I was thinking, I was doing the burn for you thing. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure about this. Uh, you must remember this is a start of my different writing career. You know, I'd always just written stuff for myself before then I didn't know, um, about I wasn't that much of a student of pop music to understand a lot of the writing techniques that i learned later on and that i've now been able to shed once again um you know things like don't make the lyric too soft you know you know what if you want this particular sort of audience don't be saying things like that don't say love don't do that don't say heart No, no 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 um, uh, you know, it, cause I've, you know, since then written with a lot of other people and written in America and written in England and blah, blah, blah. And you learn that oh, there's an audience. What's your, what's your audience? We've got to write for those guys. That's your audience. Whereas to me, it was like, no, write from your heart. You've got, you write from your heart. You don't write for those guys, fuck those guys, write yeah. what you want to write. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that slowly changed in me because it was like, okay, now I'm in this business, so uh, I'm a respected writer. I have to, I'm going to go and run a these. Um, to, to be honest, you know, I never had um, great success at trying to write pop songs for people. It never really worked for me. It's, it was always that quirky thing that worked for me. You know, Burnviews, if you look at the chord changes and, and, and what I'm doing in the guitar, it's kind of out there somewhere. Um, um, uh, it's a beautiful I mean,
0: they- piece to play, man. Like, seriously, when that came out, I was a, a teenager myself and you know, I was quite chuffed that I would worked out my approximation of what you're doing. Uh-huh. If I was to go back now with my ear now, I'd probably go, oh, that's not quite right. Right. But, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a standalone piece. Were you playing that on guitar beforehand yes. or did you? You did. You, you were playing that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and there is a question, question there which relates to this from uh, Big Fella Link. He's asking um, Was there a conflict with keeping it for Southern Sons or giving it to John?
1: No, but it was funny because um, I played it to to, my, to Peter, my manager, and he, and he wasn't into it. He just said no nah. because we probably more because not it wasn't that it wasn't a good idea It was that we'd had we've got other stuff. The album was pretty much you know we don't we don't need a song like that. No, there wasn't that, that conflict. Kind of never came up. Um, we already had Hold Me In Your Arms uh, on that on that album. Um, I think I'd already written You Were There too, which came out the, came out on the next album. So we, we weren't short of a ballad sort of thing um no the timing quite wasn't quite right for the band to do that song and it wasn't burned for you by then you know it was still just an idea and yes i was singing the burn for you. i was singing that but when john sang it i mean he changed it um i played in the idea on guitar and i said look i think this is the chorus i burn for you uh, and uh and i had took my trouble no i had Got myself into some trouble tonight something about call out the boys in blue or some shit. and you know i, I wasn't that much of a really i was discovering myself as a lyricist and, and that was the only line i had and i don't think i had a middle eight at all um, so it was just a sketch but he loved the way it's when i played it to him he loved the the guitar thing and he and he, he sang the burn for you and when he sang it i was like holy shit! yeah you know? wow and i just got, i just got shivers i really did when he yeah. sang it um, and so we worked on the lyric for the, for the afternoon. And we, we, we sort of did that one in, in, cause I remember I played it to him at lunchtime and we, and we wrote the lyric in the afternoon and we recorded it just before we stopped working that day. We, we, we had a, um, a, a little, uh, a track or something, John went in and sang it. And, uh, when he sang it, it was just like, man, you know, I can't complain about anything ever again, because I have had a, a few moments in my life where the sun just shone and all, all the bad shit went away. And it was just like, you know, some, you know, when it's, when muses get together, when it's a right combination or just a magic day or whatever it is, you do create something that is larger than, you know, yourself or something, you know, yeah. um, remember when John, sang it for the first time he came, he came out of. he just went in a little room and then he came out it was just a rough demo me playing guitar and him singing it i wish i still had that demo maybe i have i don't know um he, he had a tear in his eye he, john's a very emotional guy he's really he's got a lot of he's a feeling kind of a guy um and he he shook my hand and said that's one of the nicest songs i've ever had the pleasure of singing wow and um But, you know, that was a three way compo. That was that was me, Ross and John in the one room working on that track. And I learned a lot from those guys from doing that song. Um, How I I would not I got to say, to be perfectly honest, and my ego will allow me to say this. I would not that song would not have been born without those two guys. I didn't know what to do with it. I really didn't. They had the vision, Um, you know, I had the chords, I had some of the melody. But then they filled in all the all, all the missing parts, and they gave it a they gave it a direction. And I learned that stuff working with them. The way John would move around lyrics, and the way he would you know change a line here and there. It was like, oh, can you do that? And I, I didn't say that. I was acting like I really know what's going on, you know. Uh, but you know, we wrote six tracks together on that album. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. As I say, like I, it, it was a magic time. And we were driving. I remember that night after we done burn for you. We'd done two songs that day. I think we did a song called new day coming, which I play a little jazz solo. one actually on the chain reaction album. Yeah. And, um, and Ross, we were just me and Ross, he was driving me home. And, uh, cause, uh, John was out in the country. It was probably about a, half, know, that's only a half hour drive home. And, uh, and it was an amazing day. And, and Ross put the cassette in and played burn for you. And every time the chorus came, we just look at each other and be like, holy shit. What is the CMO? You know, and it was like that all the time. When we went into the studio and we recorded it, John was sitting next to me listening to the playback and David Hirschfeld, a keyboard player, um genius keyboard player, had come in and done the string part. Never heard the song before. just came in and programmed that thing that sounds real but it isn't. It's David playing all these, wow. you know, all these samplers and stuff. Yep. He'd done that string. So when that chorus came in and the strings came in, John just did the same thing that I did with Roth. I just looked at John and he looked at me and just went, it was like yeah it was you just
0: just know that you've you've struck something special
1: yeah 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 wow and 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 that's the thing you know you gotta it's it's that's sometimes i think that's a um, you gotta be i I don't know how to say without insulting everybody but you gotta know you gotta you know if you're gonna be if you're gonna be a writer and you and you are you know you have to know when it's right and it's a gut thing, you know, it's like, it's a shiver thing. It's like, that's so, you know, that's, that's a, a little bit of something that is, uh, I don't know what it is, you know, and you know, lots of people have done it, but man, to be involved in something that, uh, where that's kind of happened, uh, it's it sort of, I think it, I learn a lot from those guys and hearing, watching the process of recording it, um, uh, you know, the changing lyrics, last minute changes, all this sort of stuff. I'd learn a lot from that um, because it really wasn't that long before that, that I was in the music shop, you know, just working every day in a music shop kind of thing. And suddenly here I am working with these guys who knew who'd done so much recording before, you know, traveled around the world. I mean, I hadn't been um, anywhere in the world. Um, uh, So it it was a great lesson for me and uh, it sort of opened a huge door and, and I think I embraced it and sort of walked through because it wasn't, That long after that, that we, you know, that that I had to write for the for the for the Second Sons album. So,
0: so prior um, to that, had you joined the John Farnham bands prior to the second album? um, uh,
1: What happened with that was it was like a management kind of call, like, "What are we going to do to promote this album?" You know, to the Southern Sons album, and uh, because you know Ross was our producer and he's John's producer, he he just said why don't you guys come out with John? Like you support him. You, you you're the support band. Uh, and then you and Jack come out and play in his band because Brett Brett was uh, brick us It was in, uh, in America at the time. He wasn't available.
0: Playing with Nelson. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, so that's what happened. So we, which was great for us. So we'd come out do the support and then we'd go backstage, change into some different clothes. <laughs> and come out and play with John. And we did a heap. I mean, we did that whole tour. I think John did all of Australia or something. That was a, big tour. a of, big tour. Big uh, tour. Hmm. and it, I, I think it was like 70 or 80. I don't know if it was that many. Well, I think it might've been cause we did Europe as well. You know, we did all the summer festivals in Europe, which was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, a lot of experience. Suddenly it all went, um, and, uh, I remember one night at the tennis center in Melbourne, um, I mean i think we did seven nights in a row at the tennis center seven nights in a row i don't think anybody else has done that not pink floyd not you two. not anyone um and uh one night i was just standing there and it was you know we we're doing burn for you and i just i just looked out and saw the whole audience just kind of if they weren't singing it they were mouthing the song it. and it was just one of those moments where, like i thought it really isn't gonna get any better than this mm-hmm. <laughs> you know all the worry all the stuff that you you know the, the, the struggle all that sort of stuff somehow here we are we're standing on stage with John and he's singing this song oh my god so and I remember that so whenever I you know get to a point where I'm frustrated about something or what a, you know, I, I, I remember the good things that have been delivered to me <laughs> along the way so sort of. yeah yeah uh, so yeah that was that, 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 that was a hell of a time um,
0: and then how did you come come about working with Louis for the, for the second
1: album? But the second album, uh, it was the old, uh, you know, it's hard to go back to the mindset, but it really, it, I, I do remember that it was like, okay, you know, we, Ross did the first album. That was great, but now it's time to move on. It was really successful. You know, let's, let's get a, a, a different producer, uh, which is probably a bit of a blow, blow to Ross. Um, but, you know, you, you I will admit to there if you when you have success like that, it does, well, I'm not going to say mess with your head, but you have to be pretty mature for it not to affect you in some way. And in one way, it, the, be, uh, I've told you about the adversity. Well, that al- the al- that album and you know John's album was like saying, "Well, fuck you" to everyone, like everyone who said we couldn't do it and everyone who said they didn't like my songs. You know, fuck you all. There it is. You know, yeah. and and I probably took a bit of that attitude into the second album. Like, don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing now. Oh, I've got I've got some success. <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> And um uh so that was that attitude of oh well, no we're gonna go with um we're gonna go with a different producer. And uh and I think my manager, Peter our manager knew Louis from something else. He was a friend of with Louis and so and Louis was great, man. Louis um I mean, you know, Ross was Ross was great because Ross is a song guy, he knows songs. Uh Louis is also a song guy and Louis is a guitar player, which was kinda great. Um because he helped with that with that kind of stuff, um, uh, so that yeah, so that's that's how Louis sort of came on board. But we also had the attitude. I remember this is a funny one. At the time, Michael Brower mixed our first record. Michael Brower is uh, a, a New York mixer, yep. um, and uh, we went across to New York, which is my first time in New York, and mixed that first album. I remember having stand up fights with, I mean, I'm not a fighting guy, but when it comes to songs and I, if I think something's wrong, Michael, Michael Brower is, he's, he's, he's mixed Aretha Franklin he's mixed Luther Vandross. He's mixed Paul McCartney. He's mixed Coldplay. He's, and he's freaking mixed everybody. He's yep. just the, you know, he's the gun. He, yep. he really is. Uh, and I loved what he was doing with the tracks. And, my, and, and and the way he works is this, he says, look, come in, in the morning, play me the track. Tell me what you want. And then give me four hours, come back, and have a listen to what I've gotten, and we'll we'll make changes, whatever. Anyway, so the track he was missing that day was always and ever. And I've actually got videos of this somewhere. I've got, you know, I had a, a an old, you know, one of those video cameras. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember taking photos around the room. We came back, and wow, it was sounding great. I really loved it. He, you know, the, the, the drum sound was was kind of smoking. And, um, uh, although he, you know, he'd replaced Virgil's kick with a sample as they, all these, well, you know, how they do it these days. It's they commonplace it. now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he had, he had his, his way of doing that. And, uh, I was looking around the, looking around the studio it was like to, uh, listening to Jack's vocal and every time Jack sang, I could see so many things around the studio, all these lights going off when Jack was singing, because he had him through so many things, you know, you can't hear it. But it's it's there a lot of distortion and stuff like that. He was really into that techniques that we've learned now. He was doing back in the bloody you know nineteen ninety. Yeah.
2: Um.
1: Uh. But it, got, it came to the chorus of the song, and um, he'd taken one of the backing vocals, which was Jack, and used it as the lead vocal. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute! You just changed my song. You know, that's not the chorus.
0: Which song is this? Always and ever? Did you say?
1: Yeah. So the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Of the- so I've
0: always yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've always thought it's like the harmony becomes the most prominent part during the chorus, and, and that was a decision he made, was it?
1: Yep. it was a decision. he made. And I said, Michael, uh, you've got the wrong vocal in there. You know, turn up the turn up the real vocal. And he just looked at me, and he just stopped, and he said, No. He said that is the main, but it's not exciting enough with that other vocal. That is the excitement. I said, Michael, <laughs> come on
0: my fucking song
1: <laughs> a song completely differently. It's like, but, you know, Jesus, you know, and we had a real fight about it, but then I, the, the, then, uh, I, I agreed with him in the end and thank God I did, but he would do that. And he did things like in the heart and danger, for example, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the song, but it gets towards the end and there's a breakdown. We didn't play a breakdown. He made the breakdown. He just started cutting instruments out and then brought them all back in at certain times, you know, and he'd say, Phil, what about this? Boom. <laughs> I feel like
0: that's amazing. Is that just before because, the solo? Uh,
1: no, after the solo, uh, watching my best. Oh yeah, breakdown. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That breakdown wasn't even. That didn't there, happen. Man. No, he did it. He did it with the oh dash. shit! He wow, cool. And then started, and then he started. He started putting Virgil kick drum back in, like yeah. uh, in a different way, in a different spot, sort of thing. Yeah. So I was like, so, and then I realized this guy's not just a mixer. This guy's a song guy. This guy yeah, right. understands. He wanted that song to affect him in such a way. If, if he couldn't get excited about it, he'd want to know. He's yeah. got to look for something to make this song work. If you hadn't got it right in the production, he was going to try and help you make this work. And uh, it was he was bloody amazing. But to get back to my other point, I even thought having the you know acquired the big head of Mr. 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 Successful Songwriter. I know hits. Can- yeah. <laughs> I said, we don't need Michael Brown. We need someone else. You know, I'm going to let's find another mixer, you know, it's going to be better, you know? And uh, so Peter said, because, Peter's a friend of Michael's and he's like, mm, all right, I suppose, you know, and uh, we're looking around for another mixer. I was lying in bed one morning and, and listening to, you know, they used to have the, they used to have music on on a Saturday morning, whatever show, I don't know what show it was, but I'm lying in bed and I hear this song by this guy called Chris Whitley and it was like a slide guitar thing. Fuck! It sounded so good, and I'm like, whoever mixed that freaking record is the guy that's going to mix our next record. So I rang up Peter and I said, "Guy's name's Chris Wheatley, Whitley. Whoever mixed that record that I just heard, he's a Sony guy. I know he's a Sony guy. I want I want to see if you can get that guy to mix our record." So a couple of hours later, Peter rings back and says, "Yep, yeah, got him. No problem." I said, "Who is it?" Said, "Michael Brower." <laughs> <laughs> So I said, okay. There you go. Yeah, so Michael mixed the next record. And he mixed the record after that as well. And he mixed my album, my new album. Michael mixed that as well.
0: Cool. So speaking of the new album, Mm. we should talk a bit about that, mate. Or else we're going to be here for hours and hours, which isn't a bad (laughs) thing if if you've got nowhere to be, mate. Uh, I I normally go an hour before I throw to people's questions and stuff. We've got a lot of people watching, but not many people asking questions. So if you are watching... Feel free to drop them into the comments section, not the comments section, the the live chat, and uh, I'll I'll go through those. But, mate, you do have a new album out. It's been a long time coming.
1: Long time coming.
0: Long time coming, yeah. Firstly, um, where can we get the record?
1: At the moment, you can't get the album. I've only released the first single, so maybe it's a little bit premature. The album's finished. It's mixed, um, but... um I'm learning how to work this—the new paradigm, which is the internet. You know, how to release on the internet, and, yeah. and every everyone that that I think knows what they're talking about is telling me, and you know, all the YouTube guys, all the rest, are all saying, "Don't, don't just drop your album. Release at least three singles," which I know is annoying to. I, I would find that annoying if I was a fan. Um, it just so happens, I think I've got more than three singles. Um, I'm happy to do that. Um, I, I'm so excited about the album though, because. Um, you know, i got Virgil on the album, uh, playing drums. I got Jimmy Johnson playing bass. He's always been one of my heroes, hero bass players. Um, you know, cause I, I, I knew that I needed a bass, I, had done all the bass parts, but I, I thought I have gotta get someone to, you know, put their own thing on this because I don't want it, I don't want it to be a myopic record. You know, this guy sat in, in a room with his computer and he's done everything, man. And yeah. it sounds like he's done everything, you know, yeah. no matter how good you are uh, as a player or whatever. It, it does have this, you know, there are some people who can do that, but most people can't really pull that off. It sounds like one bloke in a room with a computer basically. Yeah. So, um, I, I, programmed the drums, i had uh, done all the bass parts and, you know, Virgil, Virgil wanted to be involved, which was, fan- oh, I, I was kind of surprised to be honest with you, cause Virgil's hes really doing his own thing. You know, he's, he, he has created his own universe of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, but he made room for me, which was unbelievable. And he recorded it in LA in his, in his studio. I got a great sound and he's he really helped form the form the songs. Um, his grooves the way you know, I told him I want I don't want just you know, I want you to do it the way you would do it, you know, you know, obviously I'm not as way out as, he, as his stuff, you know, because he's I don't know what time signatures he's playing and you know, I don't know what he's doing um, and he knows that he's a song. He's a song guy too, Virgil. he understood he, he really dug the songs, you know. Uh, which was amazing. I just, yeah, I was just so happy that he did. And to, you know, we'd, we'd we'd been in contact, but we had, I'd been to a couple of his gigs when he came to Melbourne sort of thing. And, you know, he was off doing his own thing. It's way different than what I'm doing, but he brought his thing to it, you know. Um, and he just grooves like a mother on this record. And his hi-hats, fuck me. If I didn't do anything else, I'd get him to play hi You know, if I didn't, if I was happy with a part or something, I'd get Virgil to play hi-hats because he is, really? you got to what he does with hi-hats man, is yeah, yeah. the master at that, That subtlety things, the, the little things and the way he builds into choruses and stuff like that. Um, so and I said to Virgil, look, um, uh, I, I think okay, I need a bass player, you know, I really I need to, do you, do you know anyone? And he said, well, I think I got, I got someone in mind and, then, and, I, and I didn't even ask him who I thought, oh, great. Let me know who, you know, let me know. And he said, look, I'll send someone, I'll send a, a couple of mates, your, uh, the tracks that we've been working on, you know, about a week later, I get an email from Jimmy Johnson and I couldn't even believe it was him. I just thought, I don't know. You know, didn't, didn't connect with me that it was Jimmy Johnson, the bass player. It was just some, some guy, Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. And attached to it was one of my songs. And he said, uh, I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly what I said. Something to the effect of really love your stuff, man. I hope you don't mind. I've, uh, I, I, I've high passed your track and I've, I've put a bass track on it. I'm like, what? Jimmy Johnson, the player. <laughs> then it dawned on me. This is Jimmy Johnson. This is must be Virgil's friend, you know, and fuck me. You know, there's Jimmy playing on my track. It was like, holy shit. Uh, I didn't dream that, you know, anyway, I won't go on about it. Everybody knows if you, you know, if you're a Holsworth fan or if you're a James Taylor fan or whatever, Jimmy's just the man. And, and the thing about Jimmy is then his choice, well, his groove obviously, but his choice of notes, it's just, I never think of that stuff. That's what you, you love when you use someone who, knows their thing. They're yeah. doing stuff you didn't think of. Yeah. And it's better than what you, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. like, yeah. it's taken the song to, to a whole other place. He would use some of my parts, which was lovely, but he would, he, then he would do his own thing and be like, holy shit, you know, nothing. Um, I mean, my stuff is not like technically let's go berserk time. Um, there's probably not even one fast solo on it or anything like that. It's not, you know, I'm still a song guy. I, I still use those um, thing that those elements that have always appealed to me, the melodies, uh, you know, I'm just a hook guy. too. So I just love a good hook, you know? Yeah. Um, but I want to do it in a different way. I wanted to make a style of music that was a little, it's got the jazz element to it. I really don't even know what to call it, man. I, I can't put it. Somebody, somebody said the other day that like Virgil said first, he said, um, this is sing, songwriter jazz. I'm like, Oh, that's a really interesting thing. Cool. Um, but I'm a bit worried about the jazz labeling as much as it's not totally kind of jazz. Um, and, and then, somebody else uh, on uh, my Facebook page said, Oh, this is uh, prog rock with strong hooks. And I thought, "Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Nice. But then again, I think prog rock and I think pretty heavy sort of guitar. It's it look, I don't know what it is, but it's songs with melodies. And I, I think in, interesting lyrics, uh, there's not a love song on it because, Hey, you know, I'm older now and I just, you know, I'm happily married man. Um, so, um, I, you know the the lyrics in, and probably the hardest thing on the album, Rick, was the lyrics. Really, I sp- really? probably spent more time on the lyrics than anything else. Yeah, I find it. I wouldn't say I find it easy to come up with a with a with a musical idea, but it's I'm more likely to come up with that. And most of the time, because I've done a lot of writing between um, when the band broke up and now, I spent 13 years straight writing for Universal Production Music which is, a you know, they're a publishing company and they have a huge, I didn't even know what production music was. Uh, but it's a way of, of writing a song and getting it played and getting paid for it. Whereas these days, you know, that's kind of hard to do. Uh-huh. So I ended up, um, uh, befriending this guy who worked for BM. in those days, it was BMG, uh, uh, production music. Um, he was a big fan of Burnview and he's a big fan of Southern Sons and he, he, works, uh, he was working at, in the office at uh, BMG. He was, you know, he was nowhere far up the chain, but he was working on this thing called production music and, uh, I was, I was broke. I got, to, well, you know, just, there was nothing happening, you know, it was years after the band had finished and I tried to get another band happening and that didn't really work at all. And I was kind of at a loose end and probably not in a good place in my head and just didn't know what I was doing, you know, and, um, uh, I, I had, a, re- you know, I had, a, I got a recording studio. I've, I've worked on my re- recording chops over the years. So I know how to you know, make something that sounds pretty close to a, to a finished product. And, um, uh, I was talking to my publisher and she said, go and have a chat to John down the back there. He's in production music. You may be, you know, because, you know, they, they started sending me people from Australian Idol and stuff. And I don't know what the fucking right for those people. I got a clue. I'm not, you know, it's like I want to do something that's a little bit different, and a little bit weird. And, yeah, I had a few tracks with Shannon Noll and some of the other people, uh, but, you know, I, uh, look, it's for other people to say, but my opinion is I'm not really good at doing that. Um, I'm not comfortable, that comfortable doing that. Um, so I didn't want to do that anymore. And there wasn't any money in any way, you know, not make a cent out of that stuff. So, and, you know, i got a family to feed. What the hell? and a guitar, a guitar habit to, you know, yep. to serve yep. it. Absolutely. Um, and anyway, so I went and talked to this guy and he, he was a big, look, he, he had, uh, I think he had sung burn at his wedding and all this sort of stuff. And he actually sent me a tape of him singing, but he's a good singer, actually. And, um uh, he said, oh man, you know, um, you know, uh, once again, John knew uh, he, he had, he had enough now to know. You know, don't don't tell this guy to do a particular thing he said phil just do whatever you want but it's got to be a song we need vocal songs said, just write whatever you want just you know just do it you know and i said going to get paid he said, yeah yeah we'll pay you to do it I said, you're going to pay me to make a track for you yeah no no worries yeah we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll pay us it okay then <laughs> you know uh, to me this was unbelievable because no one was paying for anything you know yeah. it's like the only they're going to actually pay me to write the track so that will keep me alive for a start um, and then there, you know, there was this, this dream of, and then later down the track, when the songs get played, you, you will get performance royalties, you know, um, he said, he said, but you know, we own the song, right. You know, you have to sign it over and most people won't, a lot of people won't do that. Yep. But I, I'm like, well, you know, I'll write the song and, but I'm going to get performance royalties, right? Yeah. Yeah. You always will. No one can take that away. You're going to get 50% and we're going to take 50%, but we own the song. So you're not going to get this thing called mechanical royalties. I said, "What's mechanical? You reckon I'd know what's mechanical royalties?" I said, "Oh, that's if a company comes to us, say BMW comes to us and say we're going to use this song in a BMW thing, we're going to charge them a fee for that. It might be two grand, might be ten grand, it might be fifteen, it might be twenty grand. Said, yep. You're not going to get into that." Yep. He said, "If you lived in another country, if you were in England, you would. If you lived in America, you would. Their writers do get, but the deal okay. you're, about, you're about to sign." You're not going to get any of that but i was as i say, I was desperate i wasn't going to be haggling over that it's like you're going to pay me to write this you're going to pay me right <laughs> and so i started this thing and know and and, and um, you know i did the what what you would expect which was not the right thing to do would go through all my old tracks and go what have i got hanging around they're yep. going to love this you know and you know they seem to like it and they you know wanted me to do another album and i thought to myself this is a fool's game you're playing here buckle because you you've sort of not, you, you're not giving them your best work, you know, well, I can't give them the best, so I gotta keep that for, what are you keeping it for, Phil? Who's gonna do it? Well, actually, there isn't anyone. No one's, you know, if I did, and it goes on Spotify, I'm not gonna make any money anyway, unless yeah. I get, you know, 20 million hits or something. So maybe I will do my best work. No, I will do my best work. So then I once I change my attitude, and I, and you know, the thing about writing, I think the thing about a lot of things, Rick, is I, I didn't what I didn't know was, I mean, I didn't they said to me, write as much as you can. And the more you write, the more money you're going to make if you uh, if they get played, you know, if, uh, and, and, and they started this library, they called it vitamin A. And he said, this is going to be a vocal library and we're going to get other writers as well. But, you know, you can just do what you want. We need uh, 15 tracks. an album. that's a lot of tracks 15, to write 15. So yeah, so I thought. I'm not going to get paid until I write 15 songs. So I'm going to write 15 songs and we, <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. So I sat down with my guitar, thought, how am I going to do this really? And, and, and um, you know, what style is this going to be? So, you know, I started doodling around on my guitar and I, I get a little idea. And I think and I'm lucky, Rick, because when I when I get an idea on the guitar, usually maybe eight times out of ten, I get a lyric as well. Oh, really? And cute. it'll be okay. Yeah, I'll get the title. Yep. And if you got a title and you've got a little musical idea, you got a song, basically. Nice. Um uh, and and so that's that's what would happen. So I started writing these songs and I thought, they want fifteen. And that that seemed like a mountain to me. Like, how am I gonna have fifteen tracks? So I thought, I'll write two a day. Two a day. That'll take me what, seven days, I've got fourteen tracks. Eight days I've got sixteen. That's what i'll do yep. and i found that can. and the reason i'm going on about this is because you don't know what you can do until you force yourself and i had an opportunity to do this and i thought i'm i am gonna i'm not getting out of this bloody chair until i've got two strong ideas Yep. and so i'd get up in the morning i can come up with one idea great fantastic and make a little voice memo of it uh, with the vocal and the lyric write down the title so right leave that there it's not finished but yep. that is a strong idea i yep. like it um, and then I come back after lunch, write another one. But then some afternoons I'd come up with two ideas. Some mornings I'd come up with two ideas. I thought, I'm going to write four a day. So that means I've only got to work for four days. I've got 16 tracks. I'll do that. So I did that. Got up in the morning. I okay, got one idea. Great. Now I'm doing I wouldn't move. You're going to come up with another idea. So what I'd do was I'd listen to, I'd just get on Spotify and i go, I need an up tempo track. And I'd listen to something that was popular and go, that's the groove. That's a strumming pattern. Okay, turn that off. And then I'd start working on something that was that that kind of thing. So you start with you know some sort of value idea. Anyway, long story short, I started doing four albums a year, 15 tracks each album. Wow. And I, I was writing them all yep. and I was producing them all. I was recording all the parts and blah, blah, blah. And as the years went by and my stuff st- started to really get, and I noticed it was always the tracks that I thought these are really good. That was the good ones that were getting played. So yep. I made the right decision by it you know, not just giving them my, oh, this will do kind of thing. And then they came to me and said, well, you, you know, we want you to do everything that we're not, it's much easier for us. We don't have to worry about any other writers. You're now the writer for vitamin A. That's it. So, um, and, boy, and that was like, oh, wow, I've got this whole project, you know? Awesome. So I, I did it. I did it for 13 years. Uh, yeah. and I wrote about 500 songs. Wow. I'm not kidding you. Wow. Yeah.
0: And so, and- do you find it a lot easier to like when you detach? It's like this isn't me. It's not my band. I, I don't have to go over everything, and this has to be perfect. Do you find you, that when it, you no. detach yourself from it and just look at it and just go, "This will do"? First thing that pops in my head, bang. That's yeah.
1: You're hundred. You're you're ninety percent correct, except for the this will do. That's that that that's a bit of a trap. Um, I think I started out that way. Like they'll like this. This yeah. will do. You know, there is a point where you have to stop, where you go, yeah, this this is now good enough. You know, otherwise you'll be there. You know, you have you have to know that this song is finished. So whatever yeah. this song is, it's now finished and it can't be any better. Well, yeah. I don't think it can be any better than this. But yes, there is a huge thing where it's this is not for a band. You know, because a band has a direction. We've yeah. got to do this, or we're moving slightly in this. Whatever it is, you're stuck in that thing, right? It has to be a certain way. It could be anything, man. And so I would be writing folk songs. I'll be right, you know, because I have a folk background. So that was easy as pies. I like, want to crank out a quick album. Okay, I'm giving you 15 folk songs and those albums did really well. Um, and the beauty of um, library music um, is that it's never old in as much as I still get paid for stuff that I did, you know, 13 years ago um to to whoever's listening on on their site it's just another track yep. it doesn't matter that it's 15 years old some of them might have dated not so well but uh, it, it that, that, you know it, it, i try to stay away from you know trying to be current so it doesn't sound you know dated when you when you sort of play it but you know the, the, it, it's um it's really sustained me you know it really gave me i was able to write and I'm getting paid for my work, for my art, for my art. I'm getting paid for the, for my songs instead of just getting nothing. And, you know, having them streamed, uh, and there's some real good ballads in there, man. i um, I gotta say, I think I've written, written some of the nicest ballads I've ever written in that library and they get used. They're the ones that have got the feeling it. They're the ones that, nice. that they, they get, and some of the, you know, I had a, a stage of writing some pretty wacky kind of cute and quirky kind of stuff. Some of that stuff was great for ads and stuff. You know, I'd, get, I'd see a YouTube uh, Volkswagen ad, and one of my songs would be in it. You know, Yep. And you think uh, that's amazing? You know, people are people are digging the, tr- the track. Does that I ever had a happen
0: of- where you you might hear something? And you go, that sounds really familiar. Oh fuck, that's me.
1: Yes. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. Because I I actually
0: worked for a jingle company for uh, quite a few years, and yeah. so I know that writing for you know being paid to write something. And I I look back and I laugh. I tell people, mate, uh, this is around the time where I just discovered the internet and learning off forums, the Gear Sluts forum, for example, uh, as a a wealth of information. But I'm talking over 10 years ago, not what it is now, uh, where you had some really high-end producers hanging out there, sharing their their knowledge. And I would cruise the internet for three days of my working week. And then in the last couple of days, I would just go, Okay, uh, they're expecting uh, six songs tomorrow. Go and just first thing that popped in my head was the right thing, and right. Um, yeah, it's amazing what you can do when you detach yourself from it. Really, exactly,
1: it? Yeah. yeah, and 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 you know, it's almost like a different part of your brain or something. Um, and and that's a hell of a lot of freedom to have, you know, just write write whatever you want. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of rope. You could you can you know, there's enough rope there to hang yourself. That's for sure. But do you find you that
0: can... that you um, and I've heard songwriters say this. I didn't write it. I just heard it in my head. I wasn't trying to write something. And I think some people say no. they try yeah. as opposed to just let that jukebox in your head play whatever that thing is that's going in. Is that – Yeah. I,
1: I'm a, I'm a react, reactive kind of a guy. Um, it's all My songs always come from something I've played on the guitar. So I'll be just doodling away. you know. And if you doodle for long enough, you sort of get into this space where you almost – not outside yourself, you're probably inside yourself. You're not even thinking about it anymore. And all of a sudden you will just go, what was that? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and then you've, you've found a little chord progression or a little pattern or something, and you've sung something over it. Cause you know, I'll be sort of singing away or whatever. And you think that, okay, that's, but that's the thing I was talking about before. You gotta know when you got it. You gotta know when it's time to put, you know, catch the fly in the jar kind of thing, that little bit of magic. And once you've got that little bit of magic and if that's strong enough to be the chorus, it's pretty, you know, easy to build up everything else around that. So when you lead to that part, it's going to be like, this is the standout part sort of thing. Um, and then I've got a whole bunch of girls that would come in and seeing, I had, a, you know, I had a little roster of girls and it was great for them because, you know, they'd walk out of here with a good, good pay in their pocket kind of thing. I'd pay them X amount per track kind of thing. Sometimes they'd do six tracks. Um, and so it was good for them. And so we had, a, I had a whole little industry, industry sort of going here. And, uh, in the end it was like, I got to the point where it's like, I just cannot have the time to be doing all the guitar parts and all the programming, the drums. That's the stuff that takes time, not yeah. writing them. Yeah. It's a production. Yeah. And it reached the point where I could actually afford and they were giving me a bit more budget. So then I started to employ drummers and I'd send the track off to a drummer. Some, you know, I had a guy in Sydney, I forget his name, I had a guy in Perth, Yeah, you, know, you listen to their tracks and you go, yeah, well, that, that, that's a great sound. And so they'd put their drums down, um, and then I found a great guitar player in Melbourne. Oh God, I've got to remember his name. I forget his name. God, he's good. Um, he plays for Passenger, the English band. Oh, what's his name? Damn, that is bad of me to forget his name. It's been a long time. See, it's been years since I did it. I stopped yeah. it about three years ago. Um, anyway, so he—I did, didn't even play guitar, man. I mean, I played acoustic guitar. Right? I'd lay the acoustic track, and then he had a studio. He would lay slide guitar. He would play. And the track to come back sounded like a freaking record. was like great i mean i was making obviously less money because i was paying these guys but it was much better to do it that way you know um and that, that's the way i would go about it. if i had to do it again oh, i don't think i ever will do it again because i kind of i wouldn't say it burned out i just got sick of doing it you know it's like now there's something greater in my life i want to do what is it you know um ah, this album you've been talking about yeah uh, it, now is the time so i stopped two years ago uh, and started writing 2018 i started i think june 2018 i wrote the first track for the album and that was an interesting thing because it's it, it, this this plays into what we were just talking about uh I, you know be, uh, as i mentioned before that it was like write whatever i want i had a complete free reign, and i was detached from it you know this can be a this song this can be a, that song whatever uh all of a sudden this suddenly this was the album that you always wanted to write phil this here it is you're now going to do it now it's pedal pedal to the metal you know you're going to go flat out you're going to do the absolute best job you can do you're going to go dig deep you're going to find this exact thing about the bit of jazz and a bit of bebop and a bit of this and a bit of that let's do it wow couldn't bloody write could i because i'd put so many things on it it wasn't like i was going to do anything it had to be this and it had to be that i had a couple of I wouldn't say i couldn't write i did write i didn't like what i wrote yeah i write stuff and go, this, I'd be really, there was two guys. There was a guy who was excited about it when I did it. It was like, yeah, great chords. This is great. And come up with this lyric, you know, I come back in a day's time or maybe a week's time. I come back and listen and go, it's a piece of shit. That's not what I want to do. So there's two guys, the guy that was excited about it, And then the two days later guy who sort of knew this is not it. And those two guys hung around for too long. <laughs> it really did take me about six months. And, and I threw away a lot of tracks that I really worked. And I worked up. Big time, worked them up. Like worked hard on the piano part, worked hard on the guitar part. Uh, Might have even done the solos, and 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 then went to lay the vocal and got and thought, what this? No, what are you doing? What what happened? You know, somewhere in the production, you lost the the idea. Uh, and then I I I um um I don't know. I felt I fell in. I thought, fuck, this is all bullshit you know what i was doing i was doing this thing i'm trying to think back to the time you think i've learned but uh, i was doing this thing where i would say yeah this is good they'll like this Ooh, i caught myself actually thinking that they'll like they'll like it. it yeah yeah what, what do you yeah. mean they'll like who you write are you you are you trying to are you really writing what you want to write and you, what, what's in your heart you know what you are or are you trying to please someone again because you spent your whole fucking life doing that Phil? And, and, and when I discovered that it was like, right. Okay. Uh, and I don't, you know, cause I was doing things like, Oh, I won't like that lyric. Um, that's a bit whacked, you know, Who's this imaginary person? You're writing yeah. this for For heaven's sake. Yeah. And I thought, right, I'm gonna do uh, that. I, I, I started to adopt the attitude. I'm going to do whatever I like and I don't care how complex it is. And I don't care whatever, uh, just stop do this, you know, and I did, and I wrote one song. It's one of my favorite ones, actually. It's called slippers and, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty whacked. You know? It's one of the most whacked songs, but I really <laughs> like it. And I thought, well, who am I pleasing? I'm pleasing myself. Right. That's uh, if it pleases me, it's going on the record Yeah. and I did. Um, uh, and so as soon as I see that other person coming into the room, that, that like this, or this is really hooky, they're going to love it. It's like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. A lifetime of that. I've had a lifetime of you know where's the hook? Come on, where's the where's the where's the where's this song leading to? Come on, you've got to deliver. So now my, the songs are sort of based on a musical idea. I uh, I discovered that the, what I really wanted to hear. I mean, I'd listen to some of the old bebop stuff, um, uh, Kenny Burrell. I'd listen to some old Kenny Burrell stuff, and I'd be like, man, that's just a great riff. It's just a great riff. The whole song's hanging off that fucking riff. It's just a great riff and I thought that's what maybe maybe I can do that maybe that's a good formula for what I'm trying to do here because I'm trying to do a guitar thing it's definitely guitar based maybe if, and so I started messing around with because I never used to do that I mean writing riffs is kind of hard but I kind of did that so if it, if the song hasn't got a riff in it I'm not doing it because I got into this thing of just doing like great chord progression like these are really interesting chords yeah. but that songs didn't work it needed a backbone. It needed this solid thing, and the solid thing is a riff. And so, if you listen to the first track, which is which is called "Custom Made," starts with a riff. Whole bass. The whole song is hanging off that riff. Some pretty whacked-out chords in that one, let me tell you. Um, and that's what I did. Most of the songs are like that. And every time, I'm telling you my secret writing formula here. By the way, I'm giving away all secrets. I won't tell
0: anybody, mate. I won't tell anybody. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah.
1: Every time I strayed from that path from you've got to have this solid thing to start with, and that's going to be a riff, or if it's a chord thing, it's just, uh, it, it's like a three chord pattern that keeps repeating, which is a riff, right? You've got to have that. And that was, that's a great thing. Now, maybe not every song is that, but most of them are, most of them are based on a, a guitar riff. It's either a chord riff or, a or, a, or, a you know, uh, a, a notey kind of riff. And I tell you, even to, you know, up until a week ago, I threw away another song because I strayed from the path, you know, and I had this great chord progression, man, really cool. I could make it work. I could not, I mean, you know, I, I guess there's a certain standard I'm trying to hit, but it just wasn't right. You know, and I keep going back to, it and going, there's something there. There's something there. And i tell you what I did. And this will be good for a lot of other people. Um, so it's not just about me all the time. Um, I went back. And this particular track i'm working on i went back and listened to my original idea so i always have you know either a phone or mainly this ipad where i have a little thing that you know a sketch pad where i just i'm mumbling something i'm singing a melody and i've got got the riff or i've got whatever i've got and i talk about it and i'd say you know third finger on the first fret blah 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 and so i remember it because i've got there's lots of ideas on there you know so i went back to this idea and i and i was like i got this little that little shiver thing, not a shiver, but a little thing in your gut that says that's good. I thought I lost it. I had it. There it is on the demo after you know three or four weeks of production and trying to produce a thing. You lost it somewhere on the line. You changed something, didn't you feel? And I went back and said, yeah, I changed that chord. I thought it'd be smarter to do something here, blah, blah. And in that process, I lost the song. So now I'm going to go back and do that song again, maybe. Uh, or then I just feel like writing something new, you know, I've had enough of that working on that bloody, but, you know, maybe that's, that's the life of a writer, you know, you try these things. Sometimes when you, the song comes out of your head into the real world, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And probably because you screwed it up somewhere along the line, it's a wrong sound wrong groove really hard to do when you're programming man i tell you i wish you know there was a stage where we were going to build a studio at the house we just couldn't afford to do it and i wanted a drum room i wanted to be able to call a drummer and say i got this idea come down yeah and just paint whatever just come down and play i want that groove whatever the groove is that you can think of to go over this then you got something but i've usually just got a riff or something think what groove can i put to this and it's like oh man you can lose the track so easily if you do not get that Career. this is why i love it where with, when when you've got a band because you just hey guys i got this idea like, yep. other I'm people's
0: input it, you're not overthinking um, it yourself yeah absolutely
1: and that'll be the next thing i do the next record i'm going to do I'm, I'm somehow going to do that i don't know how but i think what i'm going to i'm going to change i'm not going to sit around programming drums all day let me tell you i had enough of that um easy drummer as good
0: as the, easy drummer yeah. have you tried oh, easy no, drummer
1: i've got every drum program every oh. time Got, I've got them all. I've got Superior Three. I've had it for years. I've, you know, had all the Superior ones. I've got ET Drummer as well. I've got addictive, addictive Drums. I've got all the drum things you can get in Native Instruments. Yeah. In. Well, it's still not the
0: same as actually somebody who just plays drums, hearing a track and going, it needs this, rather than yep. trying to make something fit it right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then you've got their feel, you know. And there are drummers where I can I, I can call on to do that. So I'm going to do that uh, definitely from now on um that, that'll probably be one of the changes because the tracks all the all the tracks took another level as soon as verge went on it it went up a notch bass went on it went up a notch backing singers got the backing singers to come in ugh, went up another not- you know so every time you add a human it just gets better and better and better. yeah um so but look i'm really pleased uh, really really um, i just can't wait for people to hear it to be honest i'm so excited awesome. like I, how I- far off
0: until you're releasing it all
1: well, the first the first uh, single is out, custom made. You can listen to that on Spotify um, and sort of Apple Music as well, I think. Um, and that's already got a couple thousand listens, which is great. I, mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like anything's a bonus because I figured it's only a certain amount of people that are going to get into this stuff, you know, yeah. with this wacky chords and and there's a guitar solo on every song, man. There is a guitar solo on every cool. song. Cool, cool. Um, so if, if people go to my uh, YouTube site, you can have a listen to Custom Made there, or you, or you can go to Spotify and listen to it. You can go to Spotify and listen to so it and get an extra, you know. Oh, we've got 2001.
0: woohoo! Ooh, or sell it on Bandcamp. Have you heard about Bandcamp? That, yeah, th- but
1: I, so I'm, with, I'm with CD Baby, so. Oh, okay, yep. Although I'm not signed with them, but they're, they're my aggregator. They're the people okay, I go. yep, yep. Um, but yeah, it will be for sale. And when, when the album comes out, yes, I will have CDs and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we're doing a film clip for Custom Made on Thursday. Um, but I, you know, I, and I will be doing things on Instagram. So if people want to follow me on Instagram, I think it's just phil dot buckle. I think. Oops. I don't even know what my Instagram address is. <laughs> but I'm, doing, I'm going to do like alternative, uh, solos. Um, that's the first thing I'm going to do for, cause custom made it's got a really lovely progression to play to and it changes keys, not keys it changes key centers quite a bit um and so i'm going to do an alternative solo there but one thing i was going to talk about was that you know all the i was saying to you that the 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 b thought i could do which was on the jazz boxes just didn't work on any anything that i was doing well you know i spent a lot of time and i've got a lot of vocabulary because all all bebop players have a lot of vocabulary vocabulary that you can use you know uh, but what i discovered was when i had the track and i was happy with the track i'm going to do a solo on it got a great sound that sounds great everything up when i tried to fit those ideas to it did not work at oh really all. no because it's bebop language and bebop language is largely based on two five one progressions so you know if we were in c it'd be uh, d minor to g seventh to c duh, uh, uh. and you know all charlie all the charlie a lot of the charlie parker riffs are all their, their um two fives that whole american songbook where all the bebop stuff you know they take those songs and then play them in a, in a bebop way all those songs are based on two five, usually on two five one progressions and so that language and even the seventh language because that was the interesting thing about uh, learning all the bebop stuff the, the dominant seventh language is the most interesting stuff because you use completely different scales on that none of that stuff worked either uh, you can just throw all that shit away it just wow. sounds like um, so i had to invent a style on it and i think i did well cool. maybe there's a big thing for me to say but i think i did i think yeah. i invented my own style over it. it is a bit jazzy there is some chromatic stuff but there's no kind of and i tell you what big part of it is i'm swinging on all the tracks I'm, i play swing style so you can hear there's a lilt you know it's like a slight, uh, triplet kind of vibe going on um because you can do that over a you know if you've got a if you've got a, a, you know, even if you've got a four, a four to the floor bass drum beat, you know, you can still go, but you know, you can still, you can still skip over it kind of thing. Yeah. And it sounds pretty cool actually. So it's this mixture of swing and, um, you know, the, the, the guitar style. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, some people say I sound, I sound a bit like Robin Ford or Larry Carlton, but I certainly don't have all that sustain. I have a little, there is a little, you can hear the yep. notes do head on uh but yeah I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the style is i certainly play a lot more bop style things than the, either of those two guys and i don't play and i play a little bit of blues just a bit and that worked blues man blues works in everything it really universal does. it's universal man. yeah yeah i remember listening to an interview with george benson when he was playing with this guy called jack mcduff uh, when he was really cutting his teeth on you know learning and he said jack mcduff took him to one side and said man you got to put blues in it. every track. I want to hear you put some blues into it. And he said, that was a big lesson to him. And that's what he's done ever since, you know, uh, and he's right. I mean, it just worked in anything, you know, um, you know, there's no bending kind of blue stuff, but I will play. I do use the blues, blue notes and stuff like that. For cool. Time. Cool. Anyway, if people gotta listen, they can, they, they can sort of, maybe they'll say, Phil, you're up yourself. It's got, it just sounds like another fucking guitar player to me, mate. <laughs> well, I'm
0: very much looking forward to having a listen to it myself, mate. Um, it, it sounds it like a, a very interesting uh, album, man. And um, yeah, absolutely. Phil, I'm going to go start going through some of the questions there. I think you've actually yeah. answered uh, most of them uh, yeah. that have popped up. But while I scan through that, I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you were using a Soldano preamp back in Southern yeah. Suns. The purple one. The purple, the SP-77, was it? The two-channel oh, no. one?
1: two or three channel yeah. two channel two channel
0: i bought one of those yesterday
1: yeah i, I paid a fortune for that goddamn thing yeah back it, in the day i say yesterday
0: but, i took it to my repairer to see if he could convert it to 240 for me yesterday i got it sunday night um right. but i was expecting because we all know that the soldano dirty sound yep what i wasn't expecting was the clean channel to sound so bloody good the guy that had it didn't know he said oh it's got this bright switch but it sounds a bit you know funny when you turn that on and he turned it on and i just backed his treble knob off and there was just that silky high end and he sort of looked at me yep. and went it's a good thing i've got another one of these or else i wouldn't sell this to you man you just made that sound <laughs> amazing so i'm very much looking forward to yep. uh setting that up in a nice little rig oh, but that nice. was the one that he had huh
1: yeah, that was the one and, uh, you know, it, 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 it wasn't it, was it wasn't it. It was me. Um, it, it was actually, it was that Pacifica. And that was the one I was using in that clip. And that's when I was using that rig. And I remember actually throwing that guitar off stage one time oh. <laughs> in a fit of rage, because uh, it just sounded. Uh, it's really, it really made me um, realize that there is a lot to do with the body sound of the actual guitar. You know, when you sit down at a music shop and play even a Strat and you just go, whoa, it's it just loud. resonates, and, or yeah. or like oh, there's nothing there. What's going on with this? You yes. know, I reckon there's a lot to it, man. And I was actually listening to um, what's his name Hind? Hind is an American guitar player. I actually follow him on Instagram. And he's Hind Baby or something on Instagram. He's a lovely player. Um, and he was talking about he he believes it's the neck. Uh, the, oh, the I neck think so.
0: Neck. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, I gravitate towards bigger necks, and always maple fretboard for me. Um, yeah. That comes because I'm a weirdo and I pull down when I bend my strings. Like always okay. on a G string I pull down. B if it's a half-tone bend, I pull down. But I realized when I was doing that, and this is stems back to playing cheaper guitars when I was younger, that my fingernails would get caught in if by bending ah. down into the a, a, a bad piece of rosewood, a cheap piece of rosewood. Right. And I just detest that feeling and I always pushed up ever since then but
1: isn't that how the instrument affects you huh
0: yeah yeah but no bigger necks maple for me and people that play my guitars with the bigger necks go how's the resonance in this thing and i go yeah it's that big fat neck
1: yeah yeah right. there you go i reckon it is too and uh, every guitar i get from here on in it will be you know my neck's at the limit like i've got pretty big hands and but i thumb a lot of chords you know yep same and you know the next guest the neck gets to a point where it's like this is getting hard to actually get my thumb over this goddamn thing you know but they're the ones i want i want that one where it's just right on the limit where i can still get my thumb around it but it's yep. as thick as a beat kind of thing and i love the the big well yeah, i'm a rosewood guy i love the big slab of rosewood none yep. of this thin thin bit of rosewood thing yep. i want that <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah and it's a
0: different sound i i think rosewood's maple. yep
1: i'll yep. yep. tell you what it's funny guitars are weird you know i'm looking at my guitar now with loving eyes because it's just got the right kind of light on it and i just love the way fretboards look i walk past my guitar i just stop and stare at it it's really sick man it's like i'm just hooked on the look of guitars i just love looking at them you know and it's just beautiful with the you know you want to pick it up and play it because the fretboard just looks so good you know it's saying come on play me come on." Absolutely. The next idea is right there. You're this far away from the next song. Come on.
0: <laughs> Phil, just some of the questions here, mate. Um, yeah. Hey, Phil, how do you come up with lyrics? Do you write snippets of ideas down or, question mark, regards Marty from Cutter's pre-The State?
1: Oh, yeah, that's Marty. Martin, Martin Hesketh. Hey, Marty. How are you, mate? <laughs> Martin's a great drummer, too. Um, he was in the, uh, the, the, cutters from the start. In fact, it was, um, I hate to remind you of this Martin, but it was Virgil who replaced Martin. In, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it's a good question. Um, two ways, um, the easy way, the easy way is that I'll come up with a riff and I'll come up with the lyric at the same time. Now that happens about 80% of the time didn't happen, didn't happen all the time on this record. Now, when that doesn't happen, i got a problem because I have to actually find something to write about. This can be a long, this can be a pain in the ass. And I've probably got tracks that I abandoned because I just never had the right lyric. Cause I'll know when the lyric is right. You know, you can't you can't fake that. It's just, you know, when it, you cannot fake it. there has got to be something in the lyric, the lyric. And I've labored over the lyrics on this album because I knew that not only does the music have to be great, this song has to be about something, and it's got to be something interesting and you have to say it in a very interesting way. The, 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 the lyric should stand on its own. Uh, and you, you don't always have to do that in pop songs. You can just have such a cool sounding and freaking track. You can have a pretty lame sort of lyric and it's okay, whatever. But I didn't want to do that. I, cause I know that if you've got a good lyric, that is a really strong part of the song. And then if you've got really, you know, strong melody, great playing, great gro- groove, then you've got something then you have it take the lyric away and you've just taken one of the pieces out and it's going to be weak. So I've thrown away songs where the lyrics I just felt were, were not just, they're just not, they're weak, you know, cause it, lyrics affect you the same way as a great melody does. You don't probably don't know it, but it can hook you in. It really can. You know, um, that's what, one thing you can learn from pop songs, you know, even if you listen to, I mean, and there's so many examples, you know, you know, you know songs that, a hugely successful, you know, it's like take a Fleetwood Mac song, you know, um, one of Stevie Nicks songs, you know, um, th- without that lyric, man, it's freaking nothing. And, and even if you don't understand what the lyric is, it's put these ideas in your head and it's just taking you along with the song. It's gotta be one. It's gotta be one with the track it's, it's, uh, super, super important. So, so my next method of writing is to try and find something and I will sit down I'm one of those guys. I've got to say that I can sit down for days and just concentrate on that. I will sit here looking at a blank page, and in your mind, you're going on a on a trip because you you sort of. And I'll keep playing the track, and I'll keep playing the place where I know that the strong lyric has to be, and I'll bloody find it. And if I don't find it, that song won't go on the record. Yeah right. And, and, And usually I'll get something. I'll I'll get something, and then you know you'll think you've got it and they say, no, it shouldn't be that, but it should be this, but you know, it, it's led you on a path kind of thing. And you found it, uh, custom made is a good example. Didn't have a lyric. And I always hate that. I'm like, this is a great riff. I need a lyric for this it has to be something that's fun. And because it's a complicated, it's a balanced thing too. This is a complicated riff that I'm playing on custom made. Uh, it's all over. There's some weird chords. You know, that's a lot of information. There got to be a simple lyric. Well, that's even harder. Come up with a simple lyric. That's good. And I was in the shower and I just was going, it's got to be phrased such and such. You can kind of hear it in your head. It's, you know, if you keep going over it you, It's and I see, uh, this is weird. People will, will really think I'm a wanker now, but I do tend to see things in patterns in my head. And I'm one of those guys that also is a sin, whatever that synthesis stage synesthesia. Yeah, I'm yeah. one of those guys. I see things in colors. And so yeah. you see the color, you see that I'm seeing a block of lyric and it's kind of brown. And, you know, uh, I just sang custom made It's just it's like you put in the input and oh, something comes and that might instead other people might think, well, that's just two words. That doesn't freaking mean anything. No, but it's perfect. It's perfect for this song. This song is a mission statement of the whole album. It's all the song is saying is, hey, I made something. You might like it. You might like it, but I custom made it. And it's 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 exactly the. you're not going to get this anywhere else. This is what I do. I just make this and if you like it, great. If you don't, whatever so i thought this yeah custom made that's it's 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 simple but if i take it in that direction it can be really strong you know so um and that was one of those songs where i, I did not come up with that first off because that riff is actually from another song that happens sometimes uh, that riff was from another song which was it failed it was a good i thought it was a pretty good song but it failed because the groove was wrong because i didn't have a drama and i tried every groove and i it just sounded so rock i didn't want it to see that i'll admit that i didn't want it to sound rock i wanted it to sound this otherworldly thing that we've that we've managed to come up with well i think yeah um and that track that track was too rock and so i took the riff and, and used a different groove It was like ah oh, now great we've got this this is great and as i say it took a few days and then one day in the shower custom made came along and then i thought i thought of all my mates you know i've known a guitar repair different guitar repairers um, and I, you know, had a long-term relationship with one guitar repairer and, and I've bought custom made guitars. And I didn't want it to be about that, but I think all these people are kind of the same. These guys that make their custom made things, they could go ahead and make something else that just look like everybody else's. But I, mean, I know guys who have carved things and they've got this thing in them and any artist who makes something that is their thing, you know, that's what, and, and that's what songwriting is really, you know, yeah, so, uh, so that's, that, that was my thought process with that. Um, but you know, those things take you a long way away from actually playing guitar. I mean, I can, as I say, I can sit there for days and just, you know, don't turn the freaking computer on because you're going to be looking at YouTube every 10 seconds, you know, anything to take you away from it. Um, and you just sit there and concentrate. Um, I remember I did a, I wrote some lyric sets for an album that David Hirschfelder and a, a Melbourne singer called David Hobson, uh, he's a opera singer They made this weird kind of. World music kind of album called in in inside this room yeah inside this room it's a great album amazing stuff David's an incredible programmer so they had like you know pygmy chants and then they'd have an operatic song over this and I wrote a bunch of I wrote five sets of lyrics I think that took me two weeks and I just sat in a room for hours but on what I discovered was the same thing I said about writing you know four songs a day uh, for for production music um, I discovered I could do it. If you, if you don't force yourself to do it, you won't know, you know, unless you put yourself to the test, you you kind of don't know. And then you discover, hell, I can do that. Well, good. <laughs> cool, cool.
0: But I've, I've scanned through there and we have touched answered most of the questions as we've gone along so far, but um, there's one here. I'd like to inquire about Phil's approach to his playing on Burn For You. Uh, I have an arrangement that is on the internet. He seemed to have used some unusual chord inversions in the composition.
1: Mm. Okay, there's a lot of up and down. It's it, it's really all over the neck. I'm not I'm not using I'm not staying in the open position, um, and I'm using. Um, I'm not using normal chord positions i'm actually picking out um so there might be one note on the bass string i'm missing the a string i'm missing the d string and there might be a note on the g and the b string you know i think it's it, it, it's things like that um uh, it's uh it's it's a bit whacked and i don't know quite why i can't, i try to play it the other day and i can't remember it uh, i know it's those two uh the so there you go i'm thumbing something there like you could say it's an F sharp major thing, but it's got the, it's got an open B in it as well as a B flat. Yep. You've got to have that. <laughs> uh, and then, it, uh, hang on. Oh yeah. So there you go. Same chord and I've changed the bass note, but open string ringing away there. <laughs> and there's a weird one for you. So, yeah, to a B flat, right? But I'm in the key of E. What's going on? And
0: I was so sort of close in my working it out as a kid, mate. I'm just watching what you're doing there. I got got my guitar out and
1: yeah. I mean these were chords I was using all the time, you see. Um, and then I think ah okay, sixth...
0: you go up there. I was doing the B at the second fret,
1: and then the, the E flat thing. So now here's a good example of what I was talking about. I'm on the third finger, uh, 11th fret on the E string, miss the A string, first finger on the uh, ninth fret of the D string, little finger on the 11th fret of the G string. Now don't play the, the A string, but now you get this beautiful and you can actually drop this first finger down, which I do some. Oh, nice.
0: That's how you get that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, up to the F sharp yeah so you know there's all these kind of weird three note um, you can see what I'm doing there uh, what have I got here I've got uh, nine n- uh, uh, nine don't play the a string I've got six on the D string I've got uh, nine on the G string so that's a chord that comes before the F sharp and that's just the you know standard F sharp chord so cool, but you know, that a lot of that, stuff, and then when the chorus comes, I mean, but, uh, so, oh yeah, it's funny, you know, I used to play this with my thumb, so it's really the same shape sort of um, moved around the place. That's sort of, uh, it's like a sus four kind of shape. Really. You got it. It's open E open e then uh, 11 on the G, uh, on the a string yeah uh, not uh, nine
0: yep yeah.
1: and then 11 on the with your little finger on the G yeah. string and the other fret is open now so same chord now take it down to the second fret and bar the second fret but don't bar the E string
0: yep oh, yep these right? yeah and then up up to up two to the two fret. frets to that one yeah
1: so what I used to do is thumb it all right now one night, one day, uh, or one night uh, at the launch of this album of the, the uh, chain reaction album, we had to do at that same studio at the Metropolis studio. There was a live to wear broadcast upstairs of, uh, you know, John Farnham's new album. And we were playing with me and John playing burn for you. And I had had my little Yamaha and I was thumbing, you know, and I was as nervous as all hell. And so was John, you know, um, it's a big deal, you know. We're going to play this song for the first time, and it's going out live. Don't make a mistake, boys. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm doing what I normally do. I'm thumbing this thing. I'm playing. Um, and I got, I don't know, halfway through the song, and this thumb, the whole thumb, just went into a, you know, a cramp. A cramp. Oh no. And it literally went behind the neck like this. So my hand was like that. So I was playing like that. Um, uh, uh, where am I? Uh, but then i somehow i had to try and get my feet, and you can just hear it on the tape you can just hear it and and, you know literally it didn't cut and the cramp stayed for the whole song um and i can't we came off and no no one even noticed it except me i was mortified
0: yeah oh no and and, uh
1: we're we're sitting backstage with glenn and glenn weekly and me and john and some other people in the changing room. And I said to i said to john look at my hand and i showed him a hand you know just in a knot and he said oh look at me and he his, the side of his jaw was also because he gets really nervous too and that's the way it manifested in him you know so so then i changed it to i never played it like that anymore i started to do the like that with the first finger yeah right okay can you believe this guitar man this is a freaking solid body guitar yeah it's freaking beautiful nice so yeah, there's burn for you for and then, you know, we, yeah. So yeah, that I hope that answers the question. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, it's not hard to play. It, it's hard to play and get right without making one mistake. I find that really difficult, not make one mistake, get it. Absolutely not perfect yep. every time. Yep. So I decided to give myself a break and say, okay, if you do, don't worry about it. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't Brett, Brett played it really well too. And, nice. You know, and he worked it out. Okay.
0: Um, there is a question there. You don't have to answer this if it's not something that you want to talk about. But yeah. uh, would you ever think about playing with Southern Suns again?
1: Um, well, actually, i I'll be 100 percent honest. No, I wouldn't. Um, and that's only because I've, I've been I've given this so much thought. You know, uh, um, and people think, oh, you don't. Want to, you know, I wouldn't blame them for thinking, oh, you just, you know, you, uh, are you? Maybe you're embarrassed about that. That. And that's completely incorrect. I mean, I, I'm very, very proud of that. I learned so much from that. I mean, we had we had good success for the for the short time that we had. Um, you know, the music world kind of changed, and I, that was another lesson. You know, you, suddenly, you know, there was no more melodic rock. It was all Nirvana, and man, they just wouldn't play anything, any of our songs. They wouldn't play anymore. And that's just that's pop music. You want to play that game? Well, you got to play by the rules, and you will yeah. die by those rules if you're not really good at it at changing um so no it's it's not because i'm not proud of it i love the stuff and I'm, I'm happy for jack and the boys to go out and play the stuff um as you've probably sort of figured out from all the stuff i've been saying i've written a lot of songs since then i mean 500 alone in the in the production music stuff that i've just written this album i wrote i had another band called sneak and i wrote an album for that which was recorded you know which we mixed in america with michael brower as well uh i've i've written a lot of stuff i feel i really feel like that was a, when it was it's 30 years ago man um i do not feel connected in a musical way uh, it, it, you know it'll always be my 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 beginnings and, and, and probably be my biggest success um but i do not feel connected to it it's like there's so much stuff that's happened since then and so much with my guitar playing uh, i've changed uh, I've changed as a person in as much as I don't want to be in a group dynamic. I don't want, uh, and here's the thing. If it was, the question would be different. I would answer it differently. If you said, look, um, uh, say the guys came to you and said, look, we actually want to record again, let's, let's do something. I might, um, uh, I. I probably wouldn't do it but that would be more what I'd be more interested in that. I'm I'm interested in new things. I'm interested in writing something new, you know. Um mm. uh, the reason and the reason I wouldn't do that is cuz I really don't want to go in a van again and go on the road. I'm sorry but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I did that and you know um uh, I can I I have a mad passion to write this style of, that I'm sort of that I've just embarked on. I really want to, I think I mentioned to you guys before that, um, and this might, might sound uh, a bit, uh, a bit of an overreach and maybe too late in life, but the guitarists that I really dug are the ones that, com- that made their own world, who, who made their own music. And it, it was like a, a little universe, Alan Holdsworth, um, the early Kareem stuff, um, Jimi Hendrix. Um, you know, these are the people that, that, that uh, like I kind of, but see, I'm, I'm not, I am not coming from the, I'm a a solo guitar player kind of point of view. I'm coming from, I'm a songwriter and I just happen to play guitar, right? Um, uh, It's kind of like the, I I guess, to to keep it on topic, the opposite of what Jack used to say, because remember, we had a a period where Jack was saying in interviews, look, I'm a guitar player. I'm really a guitar player and I sing a bit, you know, well, I'm the opposite. I am a writer and I just happen to play a bit of guitar. Um, I spent a lot of time practicing guitar. Um, I stopped, I stopped for a long time. Um, for those years when the band finished or when, when, as soon as Jack started singing I wasn't soloing anymore, I really didn't care about soloing. Even in the, the band I had after that sneak, I didn't, didn't care about soloing, I just played chords. Um, and even when I was doing production music, which I did, as I said, for 13 years, I did not, um, pick up a guitar and want to play solo stuff until about 2010, I'd say. So I really had a big break from the guitar. And then I had to get my chops back, and man, that takes longer than you think. I thought, oh yeah, I can do this stuff. Mm-mm, no, there's some deep, deep things about technique that that accumulate over. I found for me, that accumulate over the years. And if you stop for too long, you've got to go back and get that core strength back. I couldn't yeah. even play a bar chord without getting cramps in my. I could wow. not hold down a chord, um, and so I had to do a lot of practice just changing chords. You know, I couldn't even change chords because when I'm recording a song or something, it's like. Yeah. I oh, screwed that up. Do that again. Uh, now this chord, yeah, what, whatever, you know, and then I'll never play that song again. It's done. Yeah. Um, but, um, so to, to answer the question, the reason I wouldn't do that, uh, that's, I'm done. I'm, I mean, that, that period is over for me. And I just really want to move on. Um, it's nothing against the, you know, I have no, I go, I'm, they have complete, go do what they want to do, you know, go, yeah. go play. I still, I'm still friends with the guys. Um, there's no animosity, there's no ill feeling. Um, it's just that I'm doing something else and I'm really on this path. And I, the way I look at it is this, this is, I kind of think about that is, is, this is the last, if you put your life into three phases, this is the last phase for me. Um, and I need to do something that scares the shit out of me. I need to be, I do not need to be safe, I do not need to be comfortable. I need to be scared about it. I'm really scared about going and play that live. I, I got to tell you, because this is my stuff now. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm really like, this is what I really want to do. I want, I want to look out at a room of people, even if it's, you know, 50 people or whatever that have come to see me play my stuff and then I'm going to sing it uh, in my way uh, and, and, I'll, I'll, and they will know what my style is because they would have listened to it before, you know, before they decided to come and see me. Um, there's a part of me that wants to, it may seem a little bit dramatic to say that I want to pick up where I left off when I, when Jack joined the band. Now, and I don't mean that in a bad way because that was a great experience. We, we had success. It was fantastic. But I was on a path then of just writing my own music. Didn't give a fuck what anyone wanted. Obviously, we we're getting rejected by everybody. I want to go back to that. I yeah. want that person... I can never be that person again, but I want to have those same true feelings of, I just want to do something really new and different and, and, and not be anything to do with the pop charts or the, it's such a great relief not to have to to do that, but it's also scary kind of thing. It's a challenge. It's like, because when you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write, this is it. I'm going to now write the songs of my life. This is it. Um, this is the stuff that I really want to do. Okay, you're really putting you're you're putting yourself out there again, you know. Um, and but um, that's what I that's and that's why I've, all my energy is going into that. My whole all I think about is this writing, uh, and not just this record. Because let's face it, albums aren't albums anymore. You don't you know do a record and then tour for a year and come back and do another record. It's to me writing is an ongoing thing. It's like I've already written a bunch of songs since I finished the album and I I can't wait for people to hear those, you know, I'm really excited about it. Um, And the way the internet is the moment, the the way the internet is being able to just say, you know, man, I wrote to Gary husband, you know, Gary Husband used to be the drummer for, for Alan Holdsworth. He's a great, he's now the synthesizer player for John McLaughlin and uh, I, I, and you know, I, I asked him to, 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 to play some keyboards on a track. And because of the internet, the way it is. And if you, you know, if they've got friends that, you know, blah, 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 man, it's like, I never thought that you I could do that, you know, but now I've got people like, you know, I got virgin bloody Jimmy Johnson on the record. So, you know, for later projects, there's other musicians in the world. There's a great horn player in Sweden that I want to use. I want to do some horn arrangements for, for some of the songs. I'm too excited about all that stuff, you know, I, I, and you know, the way I set it up, yeah, I spent 13 years writing production music, which was just bloody hard work, but it's kind of set me up to have enough income to live and not have to do it anymore. Now I'm just retired from that. Uh, and now I'm going to do what I want to do. And I, and I want it. um, I want to challenge myself as much as I can to go in different directions to learn new stuff. Um, you know, I'm learning new stuff about jazz every bloody day. You only only go to get online to see some of the incredible players around. It's great. I love it. I love this challenge. I love, um, putting myself through that ringer where man, you know, I could, I could just stop and just go, you know, Hey, nice career. You had a bit of a success back there. That was great. You know, but I'm, it's it's more about making new music. I reckon there's a lot of music that has not been made um, and new directions, new, just a new attitude on something. And uh, I hope people can sort of, well, you know, maybe they can't, Well if they can't hear it on this record, maybe they hear it on the next one or the one after that, but I'm just gonna write till I drop basically. Yeah. And, um, I will put a band together and I will go out and play. Awesome. Um, so that's, that, that's the kind of challenge I want to do. And that's why I just do not have time to go back and, and do the sun stuff, you know?
0: Cool. Cool. Now, uh, one last person has just snuck in a question, and I know they're still watching because they've they've, kept, they've added to the question as you've been talking there, okay. and they want to know what does think what does Phil think of the edge from you two or closer to home, Mark Lazarot, aka Diesel, as players.
1: Oh, I always thought Mark was a great player. It's um, one of those guys that never fell for the you know, "I'm going to play at a billion miles an hour." I mean, and you know, I'm not trying to um, say bad things about people who do um because there's some great players who do that stuff uh but yeah mike mike was always a great player always played the you know played the right it's sort of the the, the, the the not the money notes but the butter notes i suppose yeah um and great singer as well uh, no huge respect for him and of course you know well you know talking about the, uh, the edge there's a guy once again he created his own little world man. Absolutely. He created his own sound you know he plays he's not
0: one note and then four notes come out, but um, you know, it's him.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know it's yeah, him straight away. Huge respect. I went and see, saw them on the last concert. Um, I made a friend when I was in England. He, 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 I rented his studio um, in Brighton in, in the UK. I stayed there for six months. And he's, he's a guy called Mikey Rose, a piano player, incredible musician. Man, that was great going to England. Let me tell you, uh, I met so many great musicians. I was it's almost like I came out of a cave and it's like, wow, there's other people and they're just amazing. Um, anyway, this guy's called Mikey Rowe and he, um, you know, he, he was Sheryl Crow's MD for 10 years in LA. He's, he was Oasis's MD for heaven's sake. And he's now playing with, uh, the high flying birds. And of course they came out with, uh, they were touring with U2. Whenever he comes to Australia, we go out to dinner, you know, and he got us some tickets to, to U2. And man, the edges sound, fuck me, man, it's just a thing of beauty. It really is. And there's a guy who knows tone, man. You listen to those vox ac 30s man and he, he they're not normal he's messed with them you know if you yeah. if you if you if, you, if you see any interviews with his uh, guitar guy man he gets the best sound he, for, for that style of music and what he's doing yeah huge respect anyone who you know that's a, that's a thing it's being a musician being a great musician. it's not about how many notes you can play or how technically skilled you are it's about the you know i hate to say it but it's about the feel man it's about the time all great all the players that i love have incredible time and that means you can be a jazz player that means that all that means you're the edge or um, that means you're Johnny Winter because that's his freaking time you know that's the time that he plays in you know um but all all those great players Clapton uh time man it, it, you don't have to play a billion notes and if you do you better be good at it because it's going to sound like shit you know yeah um, you yeah. know and there's a lot of great players around who've got i mean there's a young young sydney player um, uh, Josh Meader, Josh Mead, Josh Meader. If, if you haven't heard of him, look him up, man, if you want to yeah. see technique, yep. you want to see technical stuff, you'll just blaze and just burn your face off. You know? Wow. And, you know, and, and I've seen Josh, um, I think you, 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 could quite easily not write him off. It's always just you know, he's a fast player, but you listen to the, the, some of the stuff that he's written himself uh, and they're just little guitar pieces, little etudes and stuff. And yes, he does play fast and everything, but man, he's got something going on there. So, you know, Josh Meader um great player uh so you know it's the the thing that i always look for is the feeling thing and and the feeling thing for me usually comes from time people who have got great time robin ford's got uh, immaculate i mean it's just it's not something you can write down and say this is the way you should play it this is good time that's the feeling thing that's the behind the note or in front of the note or beat sorry behind the beat or in front of the beat. it's like this syrupy thing that that turns your, if you get it right, turns your whole playing into, you know, it's the, the secret, the secret sauce or whatever it is, you know, all great players kind of have that, that time thing. Benson, one of the greatest time players, Pat Metheny, one of the greatest time players. Oh my God, you should hear Pat Metheny, Pat Metheny playing, or Metheny playing, um, bebop. Oh my God, his time is so good. Yeah. They're the things, you know, and yes, he can play a lot of notes if he wants to, he doesn't have to. Um, so I hope that sort of answers uh, the question. No, uh, you know, diesel and uh, both diesel and uh, the edge. Great, I mean, great time, great playing. Nice, good stuff. The right, nice. the right notes. <laughs>
0: nice. Well, I've had I've had Mark on on this show. Um... Yeah. I, I-
1: watched it, man. I watched it. It was really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was but, like we had uh, before we started some issues with the audio interface. And uh, I thought, oh, no, by the time we got it started, I thought he's going to be grumpy and all that. But he, no, it, it was good. Um, yeah. yeah. And I saw him playing a couple of times recently just on the Red Hot Summer Tour that he was doing. And then he did a solo show just down the road from me as well. And his guitar tech shot me a message and said, hey, come, come and say hello and um yeah that it's just that feeling that soul you know but he's had it since he was a young guy man like you know when he was playing with barnes at 20 or however old he was he had it he had that soul then didn't he
1: yep there it is you know and and that's the thing we're drawn to that's the thing we are drawn to and it's an invisible thing it's like this little bit of kind of magic thing and you know another good example of a fast player that has so much soul and so much time is holsworth you know i mean he took it out yeah he took his music thing right out there but Man, some of his songs, the the writing is so freaking great, you know, for what for the the style of thing he was doing. Yes, he could do anything, but a lot of the times he just played a great melody, uh, and his chords, the the chord um, the chord progressions were just they were hooks, man, they're hooks. I don't care what anyone says, you know, they're, he, they're just great notes, you know. Yeah. And uh, his time is, and he's got so many people that have tried to copy him, but man, you know, I feel that way about Brett Garsett, you know. Brett has got a great sense of time. It sets him apart from so many of the other legato players that have come along. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not about the, um, just the, the blazing kind of technique. I mean, we can all work hard on it. Men are like that, you know, men have this thing where they just will go at it doggedly and, 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 and just put so much time into getting that technique right. But at the end of the day, that's, 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 that's part of it, but it's not the whole thing you know it's the time as well it's that that thing that that sets you apart from everybody else your your sense of time you know speaking of theory. time
0: mate i i brett has i think logged in as the longest chat i've had at over three hours and uh, you realize we've, we've hit three hours and 15 already are you kidding me
1: we- <laughs> it goes fast
0: love- it goes fast
1: i just love talking about me don't?
0: yeah I? yeah well just this this mate Phil, I, I am going to round it up, mate. But yeah. I would love to get you back on sometime, uh, another sure. time, if yeah. you're up for it.
1: Yeah, don't have the, a listen to the album, Let me know what you. I'm not the album. You can't listen to that yet. But go and have a listen to that singles. Tell me, tell me what you think. Let me know. Yep. And uh, I, I hope other guitar players sort of get to hear it. Um, uh, and uh, uh, and you know, I'm excited to, to, about the rest of the album. So uh, there's, you yeah, that's a great thing. I feel like there's a lot to come. Um, and that sort of once again plays back to the other thing of why i am Aren't i doing the suns i just feel that there's a whole world of stuff um to to do and i'm excited about it it's like looking at a sunny day or something it's really weird to put it like that but that's what it's like it's like you're you're looking at a blue sky and you want to go outside that's the way i feel you know um uh, so yeah whatever
0: (laughs) awesome mate i've i've learned about uh, a lot about the man uh mr phil buckle and uh actually i wanted to ask you one more question before you go Mm. um being that you know you you've you are a songwriter. What's yep. the one song that you've written that uh, you'd like to be remembered for?
1: Well, obviously, Burn for You is there uh, which, with one of the most remarkable vocal performances uh, is there. Um, I could sidetrack this a little bit and say my most popular song that I've ever written is actually You Were There, which which if you add up all the play, all the plays on YouTube, it's over 10 million. Wow. Um, which, which, which is nothing compared to a lot of other bands I know, but for a little song that actually wasn't even a hit here. Um, it's really on the internet. It's, <laughs> and there's a, there's over a hundred people trying to play that song on the, on the internet. Um, but so I, I think I will be remembered for that, for, for that song. Um, uh, really, there's a couple of, look, I'm more of a heart guy. There's stuff that makes me cry that still brings a tear to my eye and it's weird, isn't it? But you wrote it. Why should you get it? There's just something about the, when, when the chords are right and the is right and the vocalist is right. Okay. I did a track with, um, one of the, if some people can look it up, actually, uh, if, if you're into ballads, um, and, and I know a lot of people aren't, but that's okay. But if you are, um, there's something that I'm really, really proud of I, was just, I had a song called hold on which is on YouTube. If you look at it, up, if you look Phil Buck or hold on, some other people have put it up. I had, I didn't put it up. And they've just put up like a, a dummy kind of YouTube thing. It's one of my library music songs and someone's used it on an ad somewhere and people have heard that song and really dug it. Um, it's called hold on. And there's another song called uh, you don't know both songs sung by an amazing singer from Newcastle called uh, Beth Robertson, although she's married now. So her name is Beth Gleason. such a beautiful singer. Um, she was like my, um, I suppose muse. The sound of her voice was my muse for quite a bit of time. I wrote cool. a lot of songs for her, um, Beth Robertson. Um, so that's on YouTube as well. Um, so look, at any 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 of those ones, I guess. But you know, of course, the 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 type of writer I am, I, I would like to say I hope I get remembered for this this new stuff that I'm working on, uh, because I'm not going to start talking again. Don't worry. But you know, my biggest uh, uh, asset as a writer was doing this emotional thing, right? People remember me for the balance and even songs like uh, heart and danger. There's some element of, you know, emotion in that. Uh, I couldn't use any of that on this new material. Uh, none of that s- sort of, um, emotional as far as boy, girl or, you know, relationship or the, I'm feeling like this kind of feeling song I had, I couldn't use it. So it's like, I've just taken off my best, you know, my strongest weapons and I can't use them. Uh, and that's what's exciting about doing this, uh, doing this new thing. So, and, and that's probably what made it a little bit harder too. But I'm getting in the swing now.
0: I'm getting in the swing. In the swing. It's all about that swing. It's all about that swing.
1: I'll let you go, mate.
0: <laughs> awesome, Phil. Thank you so much again, mate. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm just going to let the folks know that um, all these podcasts that I'm doing are actually available on as audio only versions on your favorite uh, podcast sites, uh, as well as being able to watch our pretty faces. As we're doing it, <laughs> I, as I mentioned to you, mate, I can't go back and watch myself. I find it very hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's just just how it is. Um, folks, if you enjoyed that that chat with, with Phil, please um, subscribe, like, throw some thumbs up, all that kind of stuff. And um, feel free to share this stuff because people are telling me this is one of the, the greatest kept secrets on the internet. I'm getting some great guests. Um, Oh, who have I got in the works coming up that I haven't announced yet? You know what? I'm getting Tim Pearce on. Uh, Scott Henderson, uh, a little while ago, said he was going to come on. Um, but he just wanted a break because he'd already done an interview somewhere. That's coming up soon. But this morning, last night, I actually got the balls to email Steve Lukather. Whoa! And I woke up, I woke up this morning to a very nice... Email back from him saying sure. So I don't know if I should be announcing that just yet, but I guess I just did. Um, Great man. He said he's he's away till mid mid July. So after that, um, the Luke man himself. I'm still throwing some lines out there and seeing who bite. So um, it's nice to have had this fish on my GitKats Cats uh, show, Phil. Thank you so much, mate. Absolute
2: pleasure. Man. It's, pleasure
0: Rick. Uh, it's time to hit my button and get the uh, little end screen to come up. So. Once again, oh, look at this. I I usually give everyone a round of applause. Thank you, Phil. And I'm hitting the button where we get the nice logo that goes like this.